So no worries there. If you come off a little, you know, scratchy, I know you're a sci-fi modeler and can't put two sentences together, but um, you know, <laughs> what? <laughs> what with the what? Yeah. So John does not allow the term <laughs> in it though, to make the final <laughs> cut. So we have, we have standards here at the plastic posse. Maybe that'll be for our only fans one day. So. <laughs> I got to reset everything. Woo. (laughs) This is bad. I got to, I got to take a break. Um, I remember my first time. God. (laughs) Terrible. Hey, hey, Doug, hold on a second. Brian, are you making a hot pocket over there? (laughs) He totally is. (laughs) I totally heard him putting a hot pocket in the mic. Yeah, we're probably having a wave. (laughs) nice doug's over here pouring his heart out and you're cooking up a pepperoni pizza hot pocket man come on Welcome to the 34th installment of the Triple P. It's been a busy weekend for some of us, so let's just jump right into it. We're stoked to be here, and tonight I'm joined with my great co-hosts, Scott, TJ, Doug, and Ivan. How's everyone doing tonight? Doing great. We've survived some crazy uh, natural disasters and other things, but here we are. We're recording and still riding the high from uh, being over in Denver last weekend with with you, John, and uh, some other good guys. For sure. I'm doing better than I was last time we recorded. Uh, I was a little tired, uh, so much so that one of the guys I work with, Connor, was like, I'm sorry that uh, we made you so tired. He's, <laughs> he's the assistant superintendent at my job, and I think he was taking the responsibility for my stress level and general exhaustion. So I'm doing okay. Um, I'm always tired. That's that's my life. All is well. I'm doing good. Um, I can't complain. No one had listened. I've got the Telford Blues now. That's the problem. I've had a really fun weekend and now I'm back to reality and I hate reality. Well, you don't have much time until Nats. I mean, we're, we're what, almost eight months away? So Yeah, that time's gone really quick. <laughs> how, how did you consider your beta test for the live streams, Ivan? That was tough. That was like, watching back what you did at the Nationals is like, yeah, that's that's a lot harder than it appears to be. So massive admiration for you guys doing it over the weekend. I, I did it for like two days and I was like, yeah, I'm bored. This is quite tiresome and I have to talk <laughs> myself. But yeah, it, it's JB. This dude is good at like literally everything. No. And plus everyone knows who John is. I've never done a live stream. Let's do it. 
<laughs> no, it, I tell you what, it's, it's, I think the biggest thing for me is getting over the fact, you know, you're in a room with people that don't usually see live streamers. So they look at you like you're an alien <laughs> and you're carrying around your little stick and they're just like, what is this dude doing? But no, that's, that's really awesome. We're super, you know, we really appreciate live streams. One day we'll make it there, Ivan. We promise if, if not next year, or the year after it's on the list and it's something that we definitely want to do. Awesome. It would be great to have you over here. So, you know, listeners, we have a special guest with us today. He'll be sitting in on the head deputy hot seat. It's our good friend, close friend, awesome modeler, special guest, Brian, also known as Machinin Kruger on Facebook. Uh, thanks for taking the time to be with us tonight. How are you doing, Brian? I'm doing well. Uh, it's actually pronounced Krieger. You wouldn't think it, but uh, <laughs> that's just how we've always, the family's always pronounced. I'm Machine and Krieger, and I built Machine and Krieger models. <laughs> Brian, I've known you for like two years, and you haven't corrected me until now online. <laughs> I'm so used to it. On podcasts. So. I'm so used to it. Thank you for Don't making worry me look about like it. an idiot. <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> Well, we're certainly happy to have you here. You know, I, I got the chance to know you a couple of years ago, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. You got to meet Scott this weekend. That's right. It's great to have you, Brian. It was awesome to meet you last weekend. And what was even better than meeting you was getting to see your models in person. I mean, for, for those of you out there, if you're ever at a show and you get to see some of Brian's work, whether it's his armor or his science fiction, it's really, really terrific. Pictures don't do it don't do it justice well thank you so much for that it was a wonderful to meet you in uh, person i and it was funny when we were at the show and i heard a familiar voice uh, <laughs> talking over behind my shoulder I'm like hey that's gotta be scott <laughs> yeah i had an awesome time it was great to meet you great to hang out with y'all and hang out with uh, jb yes it was it was a really good time and we'll certainly talk about our our awesome time spent at Hobbytown USA and maybe even discuss the post-show barbecue later. So were there baked beans there? There were no baked beans. There was, <laughs> there was the most amazing smoked pork roast. Oh my God. That was amazing. And and then John did some, some Mac and cheese to go with it. And then what, what are those cupcakes called? Funfetti, the- man. Funfetti. I saw those. In- <laughs> <laughs> I was jelly. <laughs> I was jelly over the funfetti. <laughs> he was like laying out dinner and he's like, and then we got to make funfetti cake cupcakes. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Thursday night or what? Yeah. Friday night. I start, I was prepping the pork, got some other stuff ready and I break out the box of funfetti and Scott, it, it's like, he's never, you've never been introduced to it. And I was shocked because it's probably one of the greatest desserts known to mankind. <laughs> If you're ever having a down day, you grab that Funfetti cake mix, you throw that in the oven, you do not have a down day. I have a mix always in the pantry, FYI. So <laughs> listeners, if you're ever in Denver and you want to stop by, there's Funfetti cake on deck for you. So no, it's uh, yeah, that was a blast. And, and it was really great to meet some other guys there. My close neighbor, John Everett, there's Steve Baker, Billy from, from Panzer Concepts. They all stop by and we'll, we'll talk more about it later and we'll certainly have them on the podcast soon. So, you know, in addition to that, I, I've been moving in a little bit. I've had an opportunity to set up the bench, scrape a little plastic, glue a little bit, um, but nothing major. I think I'm still spending money at a greater rate in which I'm modeling, but who, who doesn't do that in the hobby? But, you know, what, what about everybody else? What's on your bench? Um, so for me, I weirdly have 
got the aircraft mojo again. Um, so I've started work on this little fine molds Ki-15. It's a 1937 Japanese aircraft. It did a flight from Japan to Europe. Uh, it's a world record holder, I think. But it's a nice little civilian aircraft. It's natural metal, but it's got a really nice accent of blue. And, you know, fine molds by name, fine molds by nature. Really, really nice kit. It, it just goes together beautifully. I've already got it buttoned up, the wings together. It's turning into quite a quick build. So I'm trying to get this one done within a couple of weeks, because if anyone knows me, the longer a model's on the bench, the less likely it is to get done. So yeah, I've just been cracking on with the aircraft. Riding the Telford inspiration there, huh? Absolutely. It's hard not to come away inspired. You probably saw one of Spencer Pollard's builds. That's, that's probably he, what happened. He wasn't there. Oh, man. It wasn't Telford without Spencer. I know. I know. Jeez. But you did see Marcus, right? Oh, absolutely. Awesome. I, I, I didn't leave him alone. That was the problem. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Doug, how about you? What haven't I been building? Uh, just about everything in my room I've done a little work on. Let's see. The Spitfire is about ready for paint. Um, I've got a couple of touch-up spots on the fuselage to uh, to sand out to and then I'll be ready to paint it. Got those little one one forty four scale Tie Fighters done. So there's two standard ties and two Tie Advanced. They're done and ready. I've got my little X wing and Y wing just about done. All of these are being made to go on a Christmas tree. So I'm not like trying to make them perfect. I'm just having a good time with them. I've kicked around a few other things in there, and I'm having a good time. Also, helping uh, build a one to one scale house at this time. My son's part of a group build. They're putting up 10 houses at once for their new neighborhood, and I'm oh, helping nice. out. So, so it's a lot of nice. work, but it's a lot of fun. Oh, that's really good. TJ, what's going on in your world? Actually, not a whole lot between just being really tired from work and uh, everything I got going on there and kind of like being in that post-build downtime where you could just kind of need to recharge um, since I finished the um, Asuka Sherman. I haven't really done a whole lot. I kind of poked around on Dragon Sexton 2. I think I got most of the lower hall done. Been doing doing a couple color tests for another project um, that I have going on. It's pretty much it. I just got a new cat. Well, yeah, that also true. I just got a new cat. His name is Sherman. New mascot, um, everyone. Yes. So the story about <laughs> everyone laughed when I told him what his name was, which John is actually the one that's like, oh, you should call him Sherman. I jokingly said that to my wife, knowing that my wife's very first cat from when she was a little, little, little girl was named Sherman. And that was like her favorite cat in the whole world. And she's like, let's call it Sherman. I'm like, <laughs> fine. We adopted him. His name was Romeo when we adopted him. So he's Sherman Romeo. Uh, nice. But he's he's pretty cool. He's still living in my bedroom. He hasn't we kind of let him out you know, for supervised time with the other cats. So before they finally can hopefully all get along. So should we've been dealing with that, too. So if anyone's ever adopted a new animal, it's, it's can be kind of difficult integrating them with the rest of the if you have other animals. So. So, TJ, uh, you know, what did you get in the mail today that I see behind your shoulder that I think ranks 11 out of 10 on the coolness scale? So I got Ammo's new Panzer One Burita. Um, it's, I think, molded by Tacom, and it has a new molding, new tool turret with, I, I, I don't, I was looking up the history about it a couple days ago. The Spanish took some Panzer Ones and then put a better gun in it, because I think the Panzer One only had two machine guns. MG32s, yep. Right. So they put a, I want to say 20 millimeter Brita gun, which for like the mid 1930s was pretty powerful i think there's only like 20 of them there there wasn't many that that i know um so ammo just came out with the special edition release of it. it's a 35th scale so it's itty bitty which 
I like. I like I like little tiny tanks. And then I also got some uh, paint to go with it. So I just got it today. I've looked at the sprues. That's as far as I've gotten. So hopefully by next time we record, I'll probably have it assembled. It looks pretty small. Well, I mean, it is small, but it looks pretty easy. I was looking at the, the, the instructions too. So yes, yeah, so that was sent to me by the ammo team. And my box was signed by Mig Jimenez himself with my name on it, which was pretty cool. I I, did, I was not expecting that. And frankly, I was a little surprised when I opened the box when I got home from work today. That's very cool. Yeah, that's getting framed. So not, certainly not least, you know, Scott, you're the, you know, what's going on on your bench? So been uh, pawing through a bunch of uh, new kits. We'll probably talk about that a little bit later that I picked up while I was over at Colpar Hobbies. Shout out to Colpar Hobbies. John has not been lying. That is a legitimate, awesome uh, hobby shop. They put on a great uh, show for the local club there, and uh, it was a lot of fun. The way that they support all the local clubs, not just IPMS, but you know the Radio Control Rock Crawler guys, the Drifters, the War Gamers. I mean, it is really awesome to see a shop really rolling out the red carpet for all the hobby clubs. And so big shout out to those guys. I also picked up one of those octopus painting jigs like Martin has. So I was really excited to get that. So I put that together. That's that's kind of, oh, no. And I, I did work on my Spitfire as well. Got the wings all sanded and ready to go. So a little bit of work on that as well. Hey, can I ask a question? Um, can, for, for the sake of our listeners and myself, can, can you explain the name commies for the IPMS group? Oh, sure. It is the... Colorado modeling militia enjoying sci-fi. <laughs> but it's not just a sci-fi club. It's everybody's building anything and everything. You've got aircraft, you've got armor, you've got sci-fi. Yeah, and I, I think the commies are probably like a poster child for one of the ways I think IPMS can really have a great local club. Like, just emulate them. I went to their meeting. They didn't even know me. They're just like, hey, pull up a chair. Let's BS. Let's build some models. And it was super laid back. Really nice group of people. And then I also think they have some of the coolest shirts. Brian, you were one to the show on Saturday. And I, I thought it was like a Soviet propaganda shirt. It was, it was like all pro. <laughs> oh, yeah. They do a great job on shirts. They sell them at every, uh, they have the uh, Commies Fest, which is their annual model model contest. Rob, who's uh, one of the Commies, he does a great job on the uh, graphic design every time. Yeah, for sure. So I got to say, as a sci-fi guy, what was great about this show was normally you sort of got like your giant aircraft table, your giant armor table, and then the sci-fi guys get put over in the corner at the back of the bus, you know, with the other the other models. And this show was absolutely the opposite. John and I uh, jumped in, gave a hand. They they had a lot bigger turnout than they expected, and we did science fiction categories. And I mean, there was work there that was every bit as good as what we saw in Vegas at the Nats. It, it was the hardest category I ever judged. I mean, I feel like I've judged almost 15 years at Nats and the category at Hobbytown USA for sci-fi was absolutely stunning. And part of the reason is because, Brian, your work was in it. So that, that leads us to you. What is on your bench? Oh, sure. Uh, see, so I just finished uh, a Soviet, uh, World War II Soviet what-if tank. And now I'm working on a what-if World War II Soviet tank. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and so this time it is a, so I just finished that T35 with the 85 millimeter 
uh, what if. Now I'm working on a, a KV armed with a 107 millimeter gun. It just seems like something fun to do, and it's kind of, I guess, the equivalent of uh, like a Jagdpanzer or something like that. Uh, trying for the first time ever doing a polished metal finish on a uh, one of the machining Krieger, the Archelon. Oh, excuse me, the uh, SAFS prototype. So it's the first time ever trying to do a uh, yeah, just a polished metal finish. So I used a lot of uh, all clad. I used a lot of the Mr. Hobby metallic finishes. I even put on a little bit of bare metal foil onto it to try to give it some you know just some accents, panel breaks, stuff like that. And I just need the uh, weather to cooperate so I can go back out and start weathering it now out in my unheated garage. It's getting pretty chilly out here nowadays, and uh, my model time out in the garage is pretty limited. Yeah, Brian, I'm amazed at where you build and how you you know create your masterpieces. So we're going to definitely expand on that later because I think <laughs> okay. the listeners will be very entertained to hear where and how you model within your house and where okay. you store your models too. <laughs> so I, I, I think that'll be good to discuss later. For right now, I'm going to pass it over to Scott that's going to talk about our sponsors that we're so happy to have. And take it away, Scott. The Plastic Posse Podcast is sponsored by Tankcraft. Nothing can ruin your day or your Tankcraft cutting mat like spilled liquid cement. Tankcraft has the solution, the glue base. Milled from solid 6061 green anodized aluminum, this thing will keep your bench top looking smart and spill-free for years to come. I've got one, and I love it. The combination of weight and sticky rubber pad on the bottom make them extremely stable. They even come with an optional insert to accommodate most major brands of square and round bottle cement. Pick one up with their beautiful Pro Modeler mats and start your next build on a bench to be proud of. Remember, Tankcraft products come with a 30-day warranty, and don't forget the Plastic Posse exclusive offer. Use the code POSSE15 at checkout for your 15% discount. Head on over to tankcraft.com. That's tankcraft, T-A-N-K-R-A-F-T dot com and order your very own Tankcraft glue base and cutting mat. It just looks better on the bench. Before we move on to our awesome deputy marshals, I wanted to talk about one of Tankcraft's newest products, the Pro Modeler Scale Ruler. Tankcraft got a few of these out to us, and it's just an awesome product. It's that same level of quality that you know from all of Tankcraft's other products. So Tankcraft created a sleek design that's thinner and less cumbersome than most standard triangular scale rulers. And best of all, they're not plastic. They're made from laser etched green anodized aluminum. These rulers are going to match your Tankcraft glue base and they'll last you for years and years. They're designed for scale model builders and they measure in six different scales. 116th, 124th, 132nd, 135th, 148, and 172nd scale. You can order your today over at tankcraft.com. John, what do you think of your ruler? Oh man, it's awesome. I think the one thing that I need to do is build more. If anything, this is going to maybe finally entice me to do some more scratch building. I'm super impressed with it. I think it's an awesome addition to my bench. Uh, look forward to using it. I'm going to use it just as a simple ruler too, because it's so sturdy and doesn't flex and can really give a straight and true line. So highly recommend it. And again, thank you Tankcraft so much. Really appreciate this. Yeah, it's a good bench top tool to have. 
coming up in episode 35, let's do a giveaway. We haven't done one of those for a while. For sure. We're going to give away a lucky winner, a green anodized aluminum glue base, and also one of these new pro modeler scale rulers. So that'll be something for you guys to look forward to. All right. Well, it's time to talk about our great posse deputies. I just wanted to say thank you so much for all the support that we continue to receive from all of you out there in the posse. So without further ado, episode 34 of the Triple P is sponsored by Jonathan Bryan, Terry Wilkinson, Pete Kolkla, Jeremy Moore, and David Bryan Bridges, as well as our posse outriders, Eric, Bryan, Bruce, other Eric, Matt, Grant, Paul, David, Ethan, Jamie, and Rick. These Posse members all help us to bring you this podcast. If you'd like to donate to the Posse, you can go to our website, which is plasticpossepodcast.buzzsprout.com. In the upper right-hand corner, there's a little heart heart icon. Just click this and you can donate any amount you would like. You don't have to donate, but we really do appreciate the help. Just a reminder, the Posse is just one of several scale model podcasts out there. Just head over to modelpodcasts.com, that's modelpodcasts.com, plural, with an S, and you'll find links to many of those podcasts and blogs. So I know The Geek recently put out an episode that is re- I've not had a chance to listen to it, but I've heard a lot of good things about it, and it's a good episode for new modelers and modelers who are returning to the hobby. Uh, what do you guys think of that if you've listened to it? Yeah, I thought it was good. I really enjoyed listening to it. I think, you know, Scott, Darren, Whitey, and Andrew all have a, a really good, you know, really just really great aircraft modelers, and they have a lot of great knowledge to pass on. You know, I certainly learned polishing out that center seam line on a, on a canopy is something that I've always wondered about, and they addressed that in the episode. So I thought from a kind of a fundamental skills you know, what you need to do, uh, what, what's, what to look out for when building aircraft models is, you know, something that I'm an amateur at. I, I thought it was very helpful and uh, a really good listen to at the bench. I just appreciated the fact that all, all those guys are super good aircraft build and modelers in general, um, because I'm pretty sure they're all, most of them at least are now award-winning armor modelers <laughs> and, and aircraft modelers. So, but, but hearing, hearing them talk about really when they, like learned what what a lot of people talk down is like well every modeler should know this and hearing them be honest they're like like dude i modeled for years before someone explained to me what now you know if you ask that question on facebook someone's gonna give you a hard time because like you feel like you should know it already and just hearing high quality modelers just be honest and be like hey, i didn't know this for years it, i don't know i just those dudes are awesome so you know i just like listening to them in general so i really enjoy that and plus i'll be texting all of them when i build my skyhawk because i'm going to be riding the struggle bus i think for a a majority of it well i think also tj we're coming after them because you know they've encroached on the the armor turf we got to repay the favor you know blow for blow i'm just good they're too good we got it we got it we got to meet them on their own game I'm also looking forward to just making conversation. I saw both James and Malcolm at Scale Model World. So I know the upcoming episode is going to be quite a, a focused feature on that show. Malcolm was cheeky enough to ask me for a selfie, so you might see my awkward <laughs> face on the internet soon. Um, but uh, James did as well. I was repping the posse shirt, so that should go viral. So yeah, it's, that's going to be a, a good episode. I'm looking forward to that one. But because it's been such a busy couple of weeks for me, I've not really had chance to check in on the other podcasts, but I know they're all doing great work and keeping really busy and providing good entertainment for everyone who is uh, at the bench or on a car drive or doing anything that requires some listening. Yeah, I know Stu and his crew are doing a great job up north and been listening to uh, the boys down in Kentucky uh, crack their crack their cans every episode. So it's it's been good listening these last couple of weeks. Yeah, I, I also just kind of want to 
give a shout out to small subjects. Um, yeah. I've been really enjoying that show lately. Um, I just listened to the new episode today. They talked to Nick Heinfield. Yep. I think that's how you say his name. Super good uh, box diorama guy. And I, they did say that their next episode, they're going to, I think it's their next episode. They're going to continue to focus on box dioramas, which they both do, which is really cool because that's, that's like a, that's like a niche within a niche within a niche wrapped in another niche when it comes to modeling. And um, just hearing those guys talk about it is pretty neat. So yeah, their website's pretty good too. I, I think it's literally boxdiorama.com or, or something like that. Yeah. And, and they got some classics dating back to, you know, the, the Shep Payne and, and Louis Pruneau and all the way up to some modern guys. And I, I, I echo you, TJ, you know, the box diorama is something that I've always admired at shows, especially ones that do forced perspective and, and different scales really really cool like you said a niche within a niche within a niche and and i think you know it's it's rare you see them but usually when a person builds a box diorama they know what they're doing and man do they look good and uh, i i gotta echo your sentiments about small subjects all right so let's have a little update on the value gear m3 m4 sherman lee group build um the list keeps growing and we now have uh over 85 individual subjects in the group build and a big shout out to our buddy Patrick Perales. Uh his easy eight is I think it's a Korean War easy eight. Tommy's kit is the second one to cross the finish line and it looks all in. And Rick Lawler uh actually photographed it for him. Those of you who don't know, Rick Lawler is AK's in-house modeler, super good modeler. I don't think his name gets gets thrown around as much as it probably should. We interviewed him back on episode 17 in March of this year. Super cool guy and really good photographer. And he made Patrick's model, which already looked fantastic because I'm in a little side chat with with our buddy Ian and, and Patrick. So I've seen all the progress. Yeah, the, the final shots look absolutely gorgeous. Patrick is a really good modeler. I don't think he gives himself enough credit, but he uh, what he's really good at is uh, like patina. I, I don't know how he does it. I think it's mostly oils, but he, he just, I, I don't know. It just has this really cool patinaed look to it, and he's done it on all of his builds. Um, so, yeah, big props to you, Pat Patrick. That's a really good job, man. Yeah, I would echo that as well. I think, and again, nothing, I, I don't know how to say it without it sounding not polite, but, you know, TJ, you mentioned it with the photographs. I mean, having those, you know, Rick did a fantastic job highlighting the, you know, the true build and, and really the true finish. And something that I really couldn't appreciate in some of the in some of the uh, cell phone snaps I've seen online and he shared with me and seeing it well lit in a good photography booth really gives it a lot it just shows it for what it is and it's a great piece and I'll be honest I can't wait to see it in person uh, I think it's going to be one of the stars on the table and I'm super happy he's crossed the finish line and I'm pretty sure he started another one as well yeah it's uh, the a1 version yep and then uh, we also want to give out uh, give a shout out to a newer member, uh, Jackson Stanton. Um, he dropped some really good uh, mud reference photos. Uh, Jackson is a relatively local guy to me. He lives, I want to say, in Culpeper, which is where my cousin lives. It's not too far. It's about an hour southwest of where I live. Uh, I'm looking forward to Jackson's build, too. Um, I think when we were first chatting, when he was interested in the group build, he sent me some of his pictures, some of his other builds. Really good. Young guy, really good modeler. Oh, nice. He's doing an M4E9 composite. So ah, that's what it was. Yeah, that's going to be a sweet build. That's a unique Sherman. So that's that's going to be awesome. And and shout out to Jackson as well. He participated in our live event last Friday and asked some great questions. And it was super it was super great to get to know him. 
So Scott and I, you know, uh, to support the group build, we got some real-time reference requests when we were down in Fort Carson. We're walking around a M4A, A3E8, and our buddy, the Grizz Grizzle, asked for some stowage rack picks. So Scott and I were happy to oblige him. Uh, I, I think that's the first time that's ever happened to me where – uh, but it, it was pretty cool. I mean, it was super nerdy, but, uh, it was, it was really, it, again, it was cool. Yeah. That little collection at Fort Carson, if you are in that area, that's a do not miss, uh, they have a T72. That's great. They've got a, a Chaffee tank, which you don't see a lot of. They've got an M8 and an M20, the U S armored cars. I mean, and then as we were pulling out of the parking lot, John looked up and there was like an Osprey taken off from the base which is, you know, the only the second time I've ever seen one. Yeah, it's a super little nice collection. And the Easy 8 they have there is honestly pristine. It, they must have just repainted it. Looks gorgeous. I snapped some pictures in the engine bay and post them online for some of our listeners. If you're interested, stop by the group build. Also, just kind of for anyone not in the group for the group build, um, you can join. Just It's a private group, so just you know, request to join. So for anyone not in there, some of the other highlights going on this week and last week, uh, our buddy Jonathan Anderson, scale model doc, he got his uh, Meng uh, Sherman Jumbo into primer. Looks really good. That's a fantastic kit. Uh, I have one. I really want to build it. The Jumbo is like the Sherman, really. I mean, that's like peak Sherman, and uh, that's a really good kit. He's got that going on. Um, Matt McDougal, I think, has his iHeart kit. Or I love kit, whatever. I think I heart kit sounds funnier. M3A1 Lee. Pretty sure he's got base paint on that. It's close. Um, yeah, and he's started working on, um, I think it's an M4A2 from Zvezda. Um, he's been uh, messing around with that. He's putting he's 3D printing a mine roller or the mine exploder, the T10, I think it is. Looks badass. He's done great CAD work on that. That's something that reminds me a lot of Brian's work with his CAD work. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. When he when he told me he wanted to do it, I was like, hell yeah. That If anyone has seen a Sherman with a T10 mind roller on it, it's the most ridiculous looking thing. <laughs> it does not look like it should be real, but it 100% was a real thing. And I I'm, I swear, so, like some designer was drunk, was like, oh, let's just make these giant circles and we'll put a tank on it and just drive it around, right? Like, wouldn't that be cool? Uh, so yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Jesse Naughton's got putting some stowage on his Sherman looks really good. I love stowage on Sherman's and uh, yeah, that's uh, a lot of the highlights. And of course there's some good references in there from both Jackson that we mentioned. And uh, Chris Toadman Hughes has been dropping references left and right in there. And if anyone knows who that is, he has, he runs Toadman's tank pictures. He's got countless numbers of pictures of reference of existing tanks pretty much all around the world. He's also in the group just to, give references to anyone if you're in the group and you want to see a reference just like tag him and ask him or send him a message and he'll post it in there he's, he's a really nice guy so one thing i wanted to add tj i need to share it in the group but recently this week i discovered somebody in australia is scratch building a one-to-one scale m3 lee and he talks about uh getting a turret pattern made and he's had the panels like you know cnc and laser cut i mean it's absolutely unbelievable so i'll share that in the group as well one-to-one scale scratch built Lee out of Australia. Simply fantastic. Nice. And one final shout out has to go to our buddy, Darren cook working on his first armor build. He's building academies M 36 Jackson. He got a uh, foiled, uh, whatever tracks go with it, with the extended in connectors, the duck bills. That son of a bitch is probably going to like 
take that somewhere and like win <laughs> gold somewhere because that's what these <laughs> these guys do. Um, so yeah, he went all out on that build. I, I know we were chatting back and forth, and I was just like, yeah, buy this and buy this and buy this and get this, get this, get this. So. He probably spent triple on aftermarket than he did on that kit. So I'm like, okay, we'll make you an armor model out of you after all. Yeah, all these aircraft modelers. I mean, if the geeks don't win gold at Nats, it'll probably be our buddy Steve Baker, you know. Oh, the yeah. work that he's doing. I mean, come on. Yeah, he he yeah. He's in the group. I'm pretty sure he's in the group. He now. is. That that he little is. that little quarter scale um easy eight he did, he told me is his warm up for his 35th scale. I'm like, you son warm of a bitch. Up. Warm up my ass. It looks great. <laughs> a warm up that took first place at that hobby show. Yeah. yeah. Steve took first and second in that category. Yeah. Beat me and, and um and a bunch On of other fantastic models. His first two and only I tanks know. he's ever built. I know. <laughs> Stop it, Steve. Go home. It sucks when you're giving your buddies shit because they just won an award. <laughs> and then literally in mid-sentence, he walks away from you because he's got to go get another award. <laughs> and then uh, just, just as a reminder for all the fly boys out there, um, please check out the Model Keeks A4 group build. I know I already mentioned it. I have mine. I got finally I got my decals from Scott. Uh, so thank you, Scott. I'll probably get to that maybe this year. I don't know. I might I might push that to early next year. I am a sucker for breaking open plastic bags and starting kits. So I'm sure on some of these long weekends we have coming up, like the four day one I have next weekend, I might just go ahead and start it because I like I like the first initial steps of putting stuff together. Then I just kind of move on. So that's going to be a fun. Yeah, please build check that day. out. They've, I think they said they're up over 50 entry, uh, participants in that build now. So another huge group. It's going to be fun to see what comes out of that. Yeah, that's awesome. I saw it today. I need to share it with the group. Draken's digital scheme. They have two now. They have a dark gray, black, and, and light gray. And then they have that earth colored brown one. So now I have two choices. It's dangerous because it's so sexy. All right, it's time for feedback. Uh, before I jump in, I want to thank everyone who's written in. We get a lot of letters, a lot of emails, a lot of messages, and we really appreciate hearing from everybody. Uh, we've been really touched by the personal stories uh, from our modelers, now our friends. On the topic of mental health, we're always here and happy to talk. All right, let's jump in. We've got Ro Annis. Gentlemen, I just finished episode 32 and enjoyed it very much. I'm happy to hear you get into the nuts and bolts of the importance of building for your own enjoyment first. This is a tricky walk indeed, because at the same time, we all want to improve our skills and be acknowledged by our peers. And there is ego. Everybody wants to be a winner. I think the hobby is finally embracing the idea that winning can be multifaceted. Your podcast also highlights the social benefits in addition to the mental ones. Everyone gets to talk, and I also notice you seem to be good listeners as well. I've been building Gumpla and learning the importance of Instagram. So many exciting changes. I blog, and it's a terrific, it's terrifically hard to stay on schedule. Fortunately, I do it for fun. I notice that you've been able to produce a podcast every two weeks. No small feat. Well, thank you, Ro. Ro's a good guy. He's a fellow eboard member for IPMS, and he's he's a really great guy to work with. and And I think we're going to see a lot of good change come from IPMS, and he's going to be one of the you know key tenants of that. So thanks so much for writing in, Ro. Really appreciate it. All right, from Steve, another Steve, not a uh, not Steve Baker, but uh, another friend. 
Hey, Posse, I am recently back into the hobby after a 15-year hiatus from college, school, career, marriage, child raising. I currently came back into the hobby to deal with stress, anxiety, and PTSD. It has also brought me closer with my dad, who initially brought me into this hobby. He goes on to talk about his last two years, with his son being born and working from, for a large city during the pandemic, uh, family health issues, which have brought up trauma from his own childhood health problems. He wants to give a shout out to Graham Pearson for being so open about and honest about how our hobby helps those of us that suffer on a daily basis. And he gave us a thanks for passing on kindness in the hobby. You can find Steve on Models by Nelson on Instagram. Jim Gold for TJ Bronco Models has a couple of different figure sets for artilleries, 17-pounder and a 25-pounder. They also make the 25-pound limber with some ammo and boxes. Uh, Zach Pease, our old friend Zach, just wanted to reach out and say how much I've liked the last few episodes. Between the discussions of mental health and the therapeutic nature of what we do and the ongoing focus of having fun in the hobby, John Bias is always a brush of fresh air on that front. Truth be told, I've spent the last two years wrapped around the axle about trying to improve my skills and getting it right. I was too concerned with being a good modeler instead of enjoying what I do. All my best projects Complex or simple have been ones where I just sit back and build. As great as social media has been for our hobby, it does make it hard sometimes to remember that we don't need to be the next Spencer Pollard, Mike Rinaldi, or Adam Wilder to have fun in the hobby. Thanks again for your positive spin and great content. Gareth says, hey guys, love what you're doing with the podcast. I have particularly enjoyed your conversation about changing up genres and styles to keep the hobby interesting. Lately, I've gotten in the habit of scratch building 135th scale furniture between builds. Being able to just throw something together with a few bits of wood and spare model parts has been something that keeps the hobby fresh for me and given me plenty of opportunities for experimentation. That is very cool. Does anybody else out there uh, build little little bits and pieces like that for your uh, dioramas or anything else? My grandfather definitely did. He built a dollhouse for quote unquote dollhouse for my cousin Cheryl. Uh, it wasn't that it was for a display uh, based on a real house in Williamsburg, Virginia, perfectly scaled. He made fabricate all the bricks for the chimney and everything himself is to dollhouse scale, which I don't remember what exactly that scale is. Some of the furniture he bought and what he couldn't find to f- put in the house, he built himself. It still exists. It's in my uncle's house and it's amazing. Next time I'm up there, I'll take pictures of it. And, uh, send it to you guys because it's i mean it's amazing and you know little little pieces of furniture and beds like this big it's it's pretty awesome it's pretty cool when i was uh younger i built a dollhouse for a what quarter scale mogwai from gremlins in the end i mean we put all the furniture in there in the end it looked like a cardboard box so so yeah (laughs) what gareth's doing is way cooler than what i ever did all right moving on we've got jeff hey guys love your podcast i'm on episode 18 i think I just heard about your show from Robbie, the model guy. Can't wait to hear that one. I'm 54, just got back into modeling after a long time. So I'm really far back in the learning curve, airbrushing, washes, etc. So I have a question for you. Are there some good magazines or books that you would recommend? He's on a tight budget. FAQ books that you talked about, I would love to have, I would have to save up for. I only ask because I'd rather not waste money on a book if it's not worth it. Yeah, and I I sent a message over to him, and what I said was, um, if you've got a local model club, a lot of times they'll have swap meets, and you can pick up like back issues of Fine Scale Modeler or modeling magazines. Usually, get a big stack of them for five bucks. 
you know, if you're on a budget, you want to be careful. And then, man, look at YouTube. You could spend weeks and weeks and weeks just watching what Martin's doing or, you know, watching some Plasmo or uh, LPJ models. You know, James, a friend of ours. I mean, there's some great stuff on YouTube that you don't have to spend any money on. So yeah, watch watch that budget and uh, if you can save up that money for, you know, some paint brushes or some, you know, paints for your models. Sweet. Finally, we got this gem from Stuart Malone regarding our discussion of things Ivan needs to try when he comes to the States. (laughs) (laughs) He says, oh, food. I prefer Popeye's over Chick-fil-A. Give both a try. I second that. While in Omaha, there's several chains that got their start in Nebraska. Runza Hut, Godfather's Pizza, and Valentino's Pizza. For upscale, make a reservation at V Mertz in the lower level of the passageway in the old market. You must make the drive out to the Sack Museum. I think that's a no-brainer. We're all going to make it there. If you have time, hit up the Henry Dorley Zoo and Fontenelle Forest. Also, Lorenzen Gardens, Kinefic Park on the bluff overlooking, bluff overlooking the Missouri River have a big boy locomotive on static display. Cool. Well, that is it for our feedback for this week. There was a lot more people uh, talking to us, This, uh, and we really appreciate it. We, we look forward to hearing from you all. just want to echo Doug's comments. We really look forward to hearing from you all every week, and it's certainly motivating, and we really appreciate that you reach out to us and you know share a little bit of personal story, so please continue to do that. Um, now, you know, it's time for our special guest, Brian Krieger, as he's known as, you know, I again, didn't know that. Um, thanks, Brian. But he's been quietly and patiently waiting during this entire episode. <laughs> he's a super nice guy. Brian is a new neighbor of mine, but a longtime friend that I'm grateful for t- to call my friend and, and grateful that he's on and taking the time to chat with us. He's predominantly a sci-fi armor modeler, specializing in machine and Krieger and World War II armor as well, with a focus on heavy Soviet armor. You know, he's talked a little bit before of what he's working on, and he's got some really unbelievable builds uh, from his past, you know, everything from scratch printing to to his finishes are something to behold. They're fantastic. You can find most of his work on Facebook. And, you know, with that, Brian, you know, how's it going? Thanks for joining us. Well, first off, thank you for having me as a guest. I appreciate it. I've enjoyed the podcast uh, for a while now. I think I was telling Scott this at the uh, show. You know, this is such a solitary hobby sometimes when you're sitting at the bench just tinkering away on a little part. But if you're listening to this podcast, it just feels like you're at a club meeting. Uh, and, uh, and it's just a great experience. It just, you know, really enhances sitting there at the bench uh, while you're sanding injector pin marks off of individual track. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, are you still working on those T26 ones? Oh, God, no. I put that thing away. <laughs> that, that, that kit might break me. <laughs> yeah, it was great hanging out with you at the uh, show and getting to meet Scott in person and uh, Steve and seeing everybody there. That was a pretty amazing turnout at that show. And I kind of expected it was going to be, be a good turnout. There's just a lot of pent-up energy for shows. We haven't had a local show now in probably two years. I think it was October 2019, the last time we had a show around here. Yeah, and you, what, what was the final count? You had messaged it to us. Uh, it was uh, 222 entries. Yeah, that's absolutely fantastic for a small show. You told me about that, and you weren't, you weren't, it did not disappoint. And how about the week before that, the swap mate? Oh, my God. So, uh, yes, Copar, every three or four months, they have a swap meet uh, at their store, which is kind of surprising. You wouldn't think a hobby shop would be having private vendors selling their stash. 
for you know pennies on the dollar for the same kits that are at the shop but they open it up and it's just part of the community and there's a real big turnout for it pretty much every time they have it it's actually a pretty awesome event picked up some uh sweet deals on some kits i didn't need but i've I've got enough now to keep me busy for a while yeah and you had a week to stew over that panzer four you finally picked up (laughs) off of me i can't believe that Border models, Panzer IV, uh, G, got it. The guy was selling it for five bucks. Five bucks. I'm still sick to my stomach that I missed the stack of Asuka Shermans for $5 a piece. I, I can't kid believe you that. Not. I kid you can't not, listeners. That. $5 a piece, Asuka, Asuka Shermans. Uh, that guy is there every event. He must have an endless supply of Sherman <laughs> stuff because there's always seems to be a stack of uh, discount Shermans on his table. Oh. Well, keep an eye out for me next time, or, or <laughs> us and the listeners, because yeah. so so. Let's get back to you, Brian. You know, maybe maybe tell our listeners. You know, how how did you start in the hobby? Oh my gosh, I think I was uh, born with an exacto blade in my hand. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about that, and my earliest re- recollections on model kits was pretty young, maybe four, five, six, something like that. I remember an uncle gave me a, uh, I don't know if you remember the old MPC paddy wagon, hot rod. Yeah, you know, and uh, I was like, I stuck that thing together with a bunch of tube glue and it looked like crap. But I still remember getting that kit from him and and building it. And I also have distinct memories of uh, like my mom helping me build those old uh, Enterprise Galileo. And that old, uh, was it the D9 or something, space, uh, space port, space, whatever the thing is. It's like spokes with pods on the end. Anyways, so yeah, I've been building kits for like a long time. You know, for our listeners, can you talk a little bit about where you model? Because I found this very, uh, you know, based on the quality of your work, I think it illustrates that, you know, it's 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 not it's not where you model, it's how you model. And, and you <laughs> exemplify that. <laughs> yeah, my uh, my workbench is the dinner table. My display case is the kitchen pantry. Uh, all of my models are either stacked in there or they're stuffed in tubs uh, hidden in the closet. I just don't have a good display area. we got a small house and uh, not a lot of room for uh, showing things off. Uh, so, yeah, all my, all my hobby supplies, all the paint supplies, all my scratch building materials, that's just all stuck in a kitchen cabinet in the corner. <laughs> yeah, I found it hilarious because we wa- I walk into his place and you know he's working at the kitchen table. He's got world class basically art pieces there. Scratch built this, scratch built that. Fantastically painted figures and armor, pigment strewn right next to the salt and pepper shaker. Uh, <laughs> and then he's like, "Oh, I'm like, well, where's your collection?" And he's like, "Oh, it's over here in the corner." And he opens up the the, the pantry and I'm like, okay, you know, there's some, you know, sweet baby Ray's barbecue sauce and a machining Krieger suit. So and he's just like reaching back and pulling them out. Oh, sorry. Excuse the garlic powder. Let me grab uh let me grab this KV. And I'm just like, he's just putting them all over the kitchen table. I'm like, holy cow. 
these are sweet. And I'm snapping pictures constantly. <laughs> I'm sending them to the guys in our group chat. And they're like, dude, man, you, you, you make the coolest friends. Why do you move next to all these cool people? And I, I and again, Brian, I am truly in awe because your work is so good. And, uh, it's, it, it's just amazing where you build and, Thank and how you. you store your stuff. Yeah. 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 But, but, you know, I guess it's nice because it keeps my, uh, workbench pretty tidy because I got to get that crap all cleaned off if it's dinner time. <laughs> you got hot pockets to eat, man. Yeah. <laughs> Mike, Mike McElhaney, if you're listening. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Uh, but no, seriously, it's, it's crazy how, how, you know, and, and you just literally sit at the kitchen table and, yeah. um, what what was that big weird thing sitting on the table? We're gonna post a picture of it on the uh, on the group uh, once this drops. What what was that thing? Explain it to us because I've never even seen it. Oh, the, uh, the the thing with the four legs. Yeah, it looked like a giant spider, but with four legs. Yeah, that's the uh, shenkel. I think it actually translates to pork chop. If okay, I understood <laughs> it correctly in, in German. As big as one. Yeah, it was. <laughs> So that is from the Machine Krieger universe. That was an original based on a, it's a resin kit released in um, 2012. Uh, very limited production. I think less than 30 or something like that kits were, were made. Pretty, it was a pretty expensive kit as well at the time. 300 bucks, something like that. And, uh, but it is a walking command center for the uh, Machine and Krieger universe. So it's man and a crew of four or five or something like that. So, yeah, it's, it's a very unique piece because if you look closely at the photos, you start identifying all of the donor kits that actually went into the original build of the thing. You start seeing parts off of the old Tamiya Panther, the parts off of uh, the old Tamiya uh, battleship kit. There's a one-night scale Pantera car chassis that's underneath. There's parts off the uh, Saturn rocket kits. I mean, so when Coe did his original designs, he just had buckets and bins of parts that he had clipped off of uh, from donor kits you know he did some initial sketches and then started finding parts that kind of match that and to uh, create his original designs and so that's that that shenkel is one of the, the more funky uh looking ones for sure and it's probably the largest model i've built so far and it's easily the most complicated uh, because it was resin cast there was a lot of cleanup was involved and then the legs were actually cast out of white metal for rigidity strength to carry the weight of the top of the thing and it yeah it would it took a long time to get that thing prepped and ready for primer so what what does a kit like that go for I'm that guy would ask back then that kit was about i think three hundred dollars uh if Jeez. you try to buy one today because they were so limited I would expect to pay around five, six Ooh. for it on the private market, maybe more. Jeez. Yeah. Dang. <laughs> well, yeah, Mac is one of the few kit lines, I think, that the kit prices increase. <laughs> 
I need to get on that. I, I feel like I need to make that investment. I have the, like I showed you, I have a, a laundry list of Hobby Link Japan. I'm ready. I'm ready to push send. I think I think I'm going to punch it uh, after this discussion. Oh, it's a cool series. I mean, you know, because it's sci-fi, but it's also somewhat based in quote unquote reality, where it's in a real world environment. So you get, you know, so if you want to finish the model up as you would a tank, perfect. You know, you you do the typical weathering and dust effects like that. I think it would be a, a great crossover line for any armor modeler who's, you know, thinking about getting into sci-fi but doesn't want to build Gundams or Star Trek or anything like that. I think it would be a fantastic line uh, for somebody like that. Um, for sure. Some of our listeners, we're, we're just being exposed to Machine and Krieger. I'm a, you know, I've been an armor modeler all my life, uneducated, as you may say, and want to learn about Machine and Krieger. What, what is Mac? You know, what, where, kind of where it came from, and and if for some of our listeners that want to buy this stuff, because we're seeing a lot of it more and more online now with TJ posts and and of course your stellar work. Where can we might buy it? I know that's like four questions in one. So, uh, Machine and Krieger is. Older fans would also know it as SF3D. And you might be more familiar with the original old tan boxes uh, that look really cool. So the line uh, it originally started as a photo series, kind of like a story, a brief maybe three or four page story that would appear in uh, Hobby Japan magazine. And the first issue was in 82, 1982. Koyoki Yamasan, uh, who was the original creator, collaborated with a few other guys over there in Japan to help create backstory. He uh, would kitbash these armored suits, uh, hover cars, hover tanks, spaceships, aircraft, you name it, all from bits and pieces from other kits. So if you look at any of his designs, you can see parts from just about any Tamiya model from from the 70s, 80s period. He also combined a lot of automotive body putty uh, with these kit bashes. So you get some very uh, organic shapes. Some people call it kind of diesel punk. So not really steampunk, but more diesel punk. And the designs are very unique for the time. It, it was kind of his antithesis to the Gundam stuff, which was all bright and shiny and chrome and flashy and big lasers and bazookas and stuff like that. So if you look at a SF3D Machine Krieger design, the weapon itself is kind of secondary. It's not the primary focus on the thing. There's no giant bazookas and miniguns and stuff like that. I mean, you'll have a 40-foot-long hover tank, and it just has two little lasers on this puny little turret on there. It's, it's Weapons were never the primary focus. I think it was more the design uh, and the aesthetics of his original creations that I think really drew people into it. You know, they were, they were so unique for the time. Brian, what's your origin story? I mean. Were you an armor builder and then you saw these things and you kind of were attracted to the finish? Or were you a sci-fi builder that kind of started there and then kind of moved into armor? I mean, tell us about how you kind of started with the SF3D and Mac. So, uh, yeah, I, I remember it very distinctly. I was in a Michael's Hobby, you know, Michael's Arts and Crafts 
shop. And there was one near, uh, I think it was Randolph uh, Air Force Base in San Antonio. It was a really well-stocked hobby department, model department at that Michael's. The guy who was running the back, he had his own kind of dedicated space for model kits. I mean, there was three aisles of just kits. I mean, armor, sci-fi, aircraft, and then he had railroad and everything. And I'm just cruising through there one day, probably in my early teens, and I see these tan boxes. Oh, what is this? This is really cool. So I grabbed one of the uh, armor suits, took it home, built it, fell in love with it just immediately. Something about the aesthetic, something about the finish, which I realized I could finish it similar to the armor kits that I had been building at the time. It was also you know, sci-fi enough to you know, kind of reflect what I had been also building with all the Robotech kits were kind of coming in at the same time. Yeah, that was kind of my first introduction. And then the next, I didn't, I didn't get to that store very often. And the next time I went back, all those kits were gone. I never saw them again there. And it was like years later, I finally found another one at a comic book shop for an in, inflated price. But I'm like, oh, it's those things again. I got to have it. So that happened to be the, uh, the new spotter, which is autonomous drone, which has a big head on top and some big gangly arms and big sensor pods, AG pods on the anti-gravity pods on it. And it's just so unique. It's just such a cool looking thing. I was like, oh yeah, I took it home and I just started building it immediately. That bug is just really bit hard into me. And so whenever I could, I would pick up those kits, just kind of finding them here and there. And then they finally got re-released starting back in 1999, early 2000. So I scooped those up as many as I could get, because I remember the dark times when there were no SF3D kits to be found anywhere. So now it just has this amazing resurgence. Even though it's a niche series, the fan base just loves it. It's just loyal to it. It looks forward to every new release that uh, gets announced. You know, These are the guys that are buying a case of a new kit, you know, because they know, hey, it's probably might not ever get re-released again. I notice you also, besides just building the kit straight out of the box, you do conversions and scratch builds and, you know, kit, kit bashes. Um, conversions are, yeah, it's just encouraged as, as in part of the community. You know, I mean, frequent, frequently we'll get new members say, hey, I just bought this Melozyne kit or I just bought this SAFS. And I'm like, I'm thinking about doing this, this, and this to it. Everybody's like, go for it. Do it. It's, you know, your thing. There's no there's no policing in the genre like there are with, with other stuff. Very open. It's very welcoming to uh, creativity for the kit. I've never been one to just build a kit out of a box. So I always want to try to put my unique spin on it or my unique take on it. Yeah, I'll, I'll try to add bits and bobs here or extra putty here or just you know something to make it more unique since it is you know like i said it's encouraged within within the genre and within the hobby for scratch building yes i, I you know i've built a number of co's original designs from scratch so if they're if i'm interested in it and there isn't a kit available of it i'll hunt down best i can the original donor kits that go into it some of them are super rare now, and they're really hard to find. And that brings up a whole other hobby within the hobby that we like to call uh, Mac archaeology, which is just trying to research what 
particular bit came off of what particular kit that, that goes on this design. So sometimes you're hunting around online looking for sprue scans. Somebody would have posted from an old Tamiya kit or just so you can have the uh, seat back from the old Tamiya SAS Jeep so you could use that one part. <laughs> yeah, like your Nutrocker 222 where you've taken the, you know, the turret off of a 222 armored car and kind of married it on there. It looks very natural. I mean, it looks like it belonged in the first place. Yeah, so that was my attempt at recreating one of Coe's uh, original scratch bills. There's no 35th scale plastic kit available of that one. There was a very limited run resin garage kit probably 10, 15 years ago, but that's impossible to find. So if I wanted it, I was going to have to make it myself. I tried to follow his original methods for the scratch building, which he documented in the old Hobby Japan magazines. Yeah, just kind of freeforming it with styrene strip over the basic hull shapes. And then filling it all in with uh, auto body putty and sanding it to shape. And then you get to have fun adding all the little uh, greeblies on there. So since, again, I wasn't able to hunt down every single donor kit, you know, I had to do some customization on there. But I feel I got, I feel I got pretty close on that one. Yeah, it's a, it's a terrific build. It looks really good. Thank you. You know, speaking of kind of converging armor and science fiction, um, wanted to talk to you about some of your armor builds as well. I noticed that you like to do mostly Russian stuff, but some German as well. And you seem to be really, really adept at using winter whitewash on your kits. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, and it was funny. I recently did a Facebook memory, and I guess it was nine years ago where I started, because I hadn't touched armor kits for years after I really got bit by the Mac bug. That was pretty much just all I focused on forever. And I think it was, I guess, nine years ago, eight or nine years ago, I can't remember now, building a Stug 3 Aus B. And I used the old Dragon Imperial kit. I started that because I wanted to challenge myself on the uh, modulation. I had tried it a couple of times on Mac builds, and it wasn't very successful on with that because of the round and organic shapes on those designs it doesn't lend itself to modulation very well because after you photograph it, it the modulation just disappears so i'm like well i want to try something that's got all these little angular lines and i chose that little stug because to me it looked kind of sci-fi at the time you know it almost looked like a little hover tank so i built that guy and I'm like, well, I'm going to challenge myself this one too. Not just the modulation, but the whole build. So I got Fruel tracks for it. I got Photo Etch Fender sets for it. I got the Voyager PE set for it. I totally blinged that thing out. I had Legend stowage sets on and everything. Weathered it for my first crack at doing modulation on an armor kit. I thought I did pretty well. I actually entered that kit into, I think it was the IPMS when they had it up here in Loveland. And I got first place in 35th scale armor closed top. So I thought, well, that's not too bad for my first time <laughs> going around on, a, on an armor kit. So I was focused on studs for a long time. I think I probably built five or six in a row. And then I got hooked on the Panzer 3s as well. I just love that chassis design. There was just something about it. So I built a number of Panzer 3s, a number of Stugs, 
And then I just felt I'd kind of gotten gone as far as I could with that one. Then I started getting into the Russian armor with T-34s, SU-85, a lot of the T-34 chassis. And then I really got bit hard by the KV-1. So those are just such a brutal-looking war machine. I mean, there's no fancy lines on there. It's just, it has one purpose. They were just such a cool looking, uh, cool looking tank. I think it was actually Adam Wilder's KV series uh, that he posted on YouTube. Really got me hooked on that. Yeah, I've spent a lot of time focused on uh, the KV chassis because I just didn't feel like it had enough love. There wasn't enough people building KVs. So, like, somebody's got to show this thing some respect. <laughs> Absolutely. So I spent all my first armor kits were trying to be historically accurate. Some of them I was working off of particular photos. So here's a Panzer III. It's missing the jack block. So I'm going to model it missing the jack block. It's got a unique stowage box. I'm going to model it exactly like that. So I did that a few times to uh, hone my skills. And I'm like, all right, well, I still enjoy sci-fi and I'm still building Mac. So let's try to combine these two and do some more what if and have some more fun and get creative with the uh, armor builds as well. So that's that's been fun. I mean, you know, you can still weather it like a tank. You can have fun with, you know, the details on the thing. You know, I'm not trying to model a particular tank anymore. I'm doing something, doing stuff, trying to do something different. And like with that recently finished that T-35, that one came about because I always wanted to build a T-35. It's such a unique-looking land battleship. I mean, it's 200 feet long or whatever, and it's got five turrets on there and machine guns everywhere. And it's just a ridiculous-looking thing to begin with. And I thought, this thing is so cool, and I always want to build one. So I got the kit. I got the Zaveda kit. And then I was looking around and on a couple of Russian-language armor sites. And those guys take detailing to a whole nother level. I got to give something in that culture, detailing down to the last nut, replacing every nut and bolt on a kit. And I thought, well, I I can never do anything this good detail-wise. So I found some photos of a T-28, which shares the same turret as the T-35, and it was being used as a test bed for this 85-millimeter gun. I thought, well, let's put that on a T-35, And then I found these reference photos of T-26 turrets, which similar turrets are also mounted on the T-35. These had applique armor applied on them. Well, let's just put this all together and let's damage the fenders and let's just do something nobody's ever done for a T-35. Let's just try to make this unique, try to make this my own, try to, you know, put my own uh, stamp on it, I guess, if you will. So, yeah, so that was the one I just recently finished. I think I'm pretty happy with how that one turned out. Yeah, definitely. And I I know you also like to do figures, not just the Mac suits, which you do quite a bit of and, you know, do beautiful work there, but you also paint figures in several scales too. Mostly I've just been doing 35th scale resin figures because on some of these scale model tanks, it's it's just, you look at it and it's hard to get an idea how big this thing was and just how ridiculously big this thing was. So I feel having a a little figure there with the tank really helps to establish establish the overall size of these, just how massive the KVE is or how massive the T-35 is. Trying to incorporate at least one into each build going forward. Figure paintings, I'm nowhere near 
trying to claim to be any sort of expert painting figures. I, I get it done, and I get it done to enough where it doesn't look terrible. They they look pretty awesome to me. I I think you're being too modest. Don't don't look too close. <laughs> Some of them don't have eyes. They look great to me. So Brian, I also we got to highlight your uh, well, I'll call it troll work, and that's the uh, triple KV turret. Tell tell us a little bit about that that design. Oh, that uh, oh my god, yeah, the KV two two two. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was interesting. I. So I don't know if anybody's seen this photoshopped image of a KV-2 and somebody has photoshopped stacked multiple turrets on top of this thing. It's just turret was ridiculously big to begin with, and now you've got two more just stacked on top of it. And so that that image has been going around on the net for a while. And uh, some I was thumbing around on eBay one day. Somebody overseas out of China has was selling a 3D printed turret of that thing. So they had taken a meme and turned it into a model. So I ordered it. I got it. It was the 3D print didn't survive shipping very well. It was all cracked, busted up, pieces were missing. And, and if you looked at it, the detail was not very good on this thing. They had 3D printed on the rear access door for the turret. But they had put it on backwards, so the inside of the turret hatch was facing outwards. So I didn't understand what was even going on there. So uh, I, I, it took a lot of work. I had uh, I was puttying and sanding for days on that thing. Something was off on the resin material because every time I would sand, new sink marks would appear. It's like I just had no luck with that thing. Round and round of sanding and primer and sanding and primer and sanding and primer. And I finally got some paint on the thing, and I don't know. I was just not happy with it. I ended up just ditching the turret. And it came with a, some nice turned aluminum barrel, so that was a plus. So I used one of those when I recreated that uh, KV-2 that was still around in Leningrad in 1943. So uh, something good came out of it. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I thought it was great. And then when you were painting it too, you had like a rainbow, uh, what was that? Like a rainbow almost, you know, undercoat for appreciating. I, I thought that was neat. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's something I'm actually borrowing from Max Watanabe. He and other Japanese Mac artists, they do these undercoats that are very vibrant colors. Yellow, purple, green, red, blue, you name it. Every color of the rainbow is painted on there so that when the color coat is uh, applied over that, you get all these really subtle variations in color, and it helps to break up surfaces, you know, helps to break up a, a single color tank, you know, like a Soviet tank or whatever. So uh, yeah, that, that was really fun. I had done that a couple of times before. I think this might have been the only time that I had actually photographed it because it just looks so weird. Uh, it looks like fruity pebbles. Uh, yeah, for sure. In the tank. You know, this this brings up a good point. One of the topics that we cover routinely on episodes is scale model photography. And I, and I think your model photography is fantastic. And I'll also say, I think it's probably the first time I got to know you when you posted a Panzer 38T and it had a solid black background 
I remember reaching out to you and I was like, how the heck did you get this to look so crisp? And you told me it was, you know, you elevated a little bit and I think it was, it was black felt or suede you used. Black suede backdrop. I just got a, you know, a yard of it or whatever at the uh, craft store. Mm-hmm. I always have to uh, roller it with one of those lint rollers. Mm-hmm. You know, sticky lint rollers to clean that thing off. Then it's a lot of Photoshop too. Not, not going to say I don't do that. Uh, <laughs> some guys frown on that, but you don't want to see every little speck of dust. Right. Also, sometimes I'll isolate the model and then I'll just drop this black. I mean, it's just straight black. So it really helps the model stand out. I, I know a lot of guys prefer to photograph on white mm-hmm. backdrops, and I know that helps magazine publishers, but I think photographing a model on a black backdrop really almost gives it like this museum piece type presentation. Mm-hmm. It really highlights the model. It draws your eyes right to it. Here's all this color within a big field of black, and so you can't help but not focus your attention on, on the subject matter. Yeah, I would completely agree. And especially for some of the colors you're using in your suits, the the one that kind of standed out to me, and I think I saw it, was the Saturn Night that had this reddish camouflage and there's blue there and there's some, you know, a darker gray. I, I thought when you take that photo on the black background and then you have kind of four of them lined up as well. It's very dramatic, and I, and I would agree with you. It, it also gives this like just this really crisp museum kind of almost like a, a, a an art piece you're seeing yes. in, in a display yes. case. Yes. So for for our listeners, if 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 you don't mind, can you just talk about for your photo setup? What kind of camera are you using, and just basic settings? Sure, sure. It is an old Nikon. I don't even know, maybe a 3100 or something. It's probably seven, eight years old by now, but it does the job. Doesn't need to be anything fancy. I don't know how, I don't remember how many megapixels it is. It's enough for, nice. especially for stuff for the web. If you thought my dining table bench setup was bad, just wait until you see my photo booth setup, which <laughs> is basically my garage workbench. So I'm either cleaning the carburetor on the uh, leaf blower or I'm photographing (laughs) models on this thing. (laughs) I've got six uh, fluorescent bulbs on those kind of reflector track things, maybe about four feet over the bench. One of them's burned out. The other one kind of flickers. And then I have a tripod for the camera. And then I have three white bounce cards. So these are really simple. They're just a piece of white foam core, and they have one of those little paper easels on the back. And those, I think, are probably the most important part because it helps scatter the light. It helps diffuse the light so you don't get super hard shadows. Mm -hmm. And then I'm probably shooting at a F22 uh, ISO 100, generally one second to maybe 1.6 seconds, somewhere in that range. It just kind of depends. It's pretty crude. (laughs) And then the rest I said is Photoshop. Lots of cleanup, lots of sharpness, adjusting the levels to bring the contrast up, brighten the colors to uh, clean things up. Well, uh, other than getting a, a proper bench and a photo photo <laughs> set up there, Brian, what's your what's your magnum opus like? What's your your big build that you're just dying to do someday? Oh, good grief! So yeah, 
there is a garage kit company uh, that makes very limited run kit for uh, machining Krieger. They're out of Korea. They're called Hexa Model, and they do big scale stuff. So, John, you saw that, that 135th scale shingle. Yeah. Which the footprint on that thing is about roughly 12 inches by 12 inches. They did a limited run of 10 of the shingle in 120th scale. Oh, my gosh. Whoa. It is huge. And I think it was about 1200 bucks or something Ugh. like that. <laughs> but if there's one kit, that would probably be it. And I could spend the next two years working on it. Yeah, that sounds that, – that would be <laughs> – Amazing. I'd love to see one of those. Yeah. Well, Brian, um, if our listeners aren't familiar with your work, tell us where they can check it out, where you, you know, you, your Facebook page, your social media pages. Sure, sure. Uh, so I'm on Facebook. It's just Machine and Krager. You can look me up. There's also, if anybody's interested more in Mac, SF3D, there is a Machine and Krieger fan group. Uh, it's just called Ko Yokoyama. And then there's also a, uh, a Mac North America kind of fan group page for Facebook. And then I have my own website, which is just uh, machinenkrieger.com, K-R-U-E-G-E-R. And then through there, you can also find a link to the Mac forums that I've been running, I think, since 2007. So it's a very open group. If anybody's interested, we've got plenty of in-progress builds. There's plenty of finished galleries, there's new kit news, there's a library of some translated materials that uh, people have generously uh, done over the years. So yeah, come check that out. Apparently I should be on Instagram because I got asked over the weekend by many, many individuals what my Instagram handle is. And I have it, I don't use it. So Facebook and then the website is probably the, the best bet. <laughs> nice. Nice. Well, well, Brian, thanks so much for taking time to talk with us. It's certainly been enjoyable. I, I'm in awe that you're my neighbor now because your work is so great. And I, and I certainly look forward to hanging out more often. And you can teach me some stuff because your, your stuff is top notch. And, and this kind of just just really appreciate your time. And, and thanks so much. And I'm sure our listeners are going to love this segment. We'll, uh, we'll keep it rolling. And, and we're going to go right into our next segment. And that's going to be about the Hobby Town USA show that coincidentally Scott was here and you were as well, Brian. So Scott, why don't you lead us off in this segment? Yeah, well, you know, obviously uh, spent the weekend over in Denver. Um, first of all, John's uh, new home is beautiful. It was great. Like staying at a luxury resort for model <laughs> nerds. So uh, that was really, really great. There's there's a couple moments that I, I just want to, I'll be brief here, but uh, moment number one was when John came out of Cole Par Hobbies on Saturday, he had two model kits in his bag and both of them were science fiction kits. So that was pretty cool. The second one was the Cole Par Hobby show was really, really great from a diversity standpoint. There was a great range of modelers. There was a great range of subjects and there was a lot of young modelers. And I mean like eight, nine-year-old kids. And there was a moment where a young man 
man. It was probably, I would guess, John, 10, 11 years old. It was announced that he had won first place in the juniors with his model. And I will never forget the look on his face. Great show, again, that was put on. And then my last moment was after that was all over, sitting around at John's with Brian, with Steve Baker, Billy from Panzer Concepts, and John Everett, of course, John, and just, you know, shoot, shooting the crap, telling lies. You know, it was just eating great food. Great weekend. Lots of fun. We did some scouting for Ivan and TJ's trip before Nats uh, next year. So uh, we, we saw some really great stuff that I think they're going to really enjoy when they come out to John's. Like I said, get in to see good guys and great models like Brian's models in person. Yeah, you know, I think an important thing about that show to all of our listeners, it's free admission. It's also you win money when you win. So first place, it got a $15 gift card. I think second was 10 and then third was five. And then the best of classes, they won $20. You know, for all of us that were fortunate enough to get something, we spent in it about five minutes upstairs. Happy to report to our listener, Steve Baker, the resident uh, fighter pilot and aircraft modeler, bought a Sherman with that money. So that's uh, that's always a good thing. And then in addition to that, I think it's important to highlight that Hobbytown has a national contest as well. And, and Brian, can you talk a little bit about that? I, I'm not too familiar with it. It's it's like if you win at Colpar, you go on to the next round? As far as I understand it, there's a Hobbytown national contest. And so winners for, I think it's best armor, best aircraft, best Gundam, best of show, some of those, those best of, then they get entered into a national contest all the hobby towns or whatever hobby towns that want to compete into it, compete in this, they enter uh, those entries into the national contest. And then I just saw a, a link for voting uh, on that for people's choice. Oh, cool. Yeah. And what they had announced at the last show was that the winner for best Gundam at the Colpar show went on to win uh, the national best Gundam for the tw- for 2019. That's awesome. I think it's yeah. in the case there. I think it had a medal next to it too. If I don't. Yeah, yeah. I think it's in the case upstairs. Yeah, it was Beautiful really cool. Finish. Yeah, and that's the thing that stuck out to me most about the Hobby Town show is this: the amount of sci-fi. I mean, like Scott and I said earlier, we had to judge a category that had your work that had John Everett's work and, and a couple other Mac builders that they, they were just simply outstanding. And then one thing I can't forget is there was there was a young gentleman who brought his sci-fi kind of, was it Wargaming figures, I think, Scott? I, I believe yeah, they were. Yeah, Wargaming miniatures. I mean, these were just beautiful. And, and he took first to the category. He took best finish and best of sh- uh, not best of show, best finish. Just fantastic work. And, and I hope, you know, I hope to see his work on Instagram. And he was super nice to Scott and I showed us his studio, you know, his mom, I think it was his mom there with him. And it was, it was, it was just a really good time. One of the most diverse shows I've ever been to all around and, and just a really, really good time. And I, I think they hit the nail on the head on how to do it right. And I think we have a lot to learn from them, you know, from an IPMS perspective, to be honest, I certainly took notes away from that. And it was, it was good. Again, we got a highlight, you know, sci-fi was front and center there. Uh, there was probably what less than a dozen aircraft entered, but there was probably what a hundred sci-fi out of the two hundred things that were entered, and all of which were extremely high quality. 
Um, so it was, it was a good time and, and really shows what the, you know, how the hobby's evolving in certain, in certain areas of the country. So with that, I'm going to transition over to another show and Ivan, it's time for you to wake up and tell us all about Telford. For, for our listeners, you know, Ivan, we're recording at nine o'clock at night. This is uh, mountain time, 11 o'clock Eastern. And uh, over there in Greenwich, meantime, what is it, about four in the morning, Ivan? Uh, yeah, it's 10 to four. Oh, oh what a trooper. <laughs> he just loves us so much and he heard you're coming on. So he's like, man, I got to stay up for this guy. That is exactly it. I would not stay up for anyone else. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. <laughs> so... Yeah, Scale Model World. I'm, I'm going to tr- I say try and keep this brief because I could talk about this for days. Scale Model World occurred this year on the 12th and 13th of November, uh, I believe. I don't know what day it is anymore. No, I was wrong. 13th and 14th of November this year in, in Telford, uh, known as Scale Model World. It's the, the UK Nationals. Yeah, that was a really good show. Obviously, for obvious reasons, it was a smaller show than it has been usually. In previous years, we have three halls, an upstairs foyer for the competition, (laughs) (laughs) and a separate room for what's known as kit swap, even though I've never done that. It's where you can go, IPMS will sell your kits for you, you'll get, I think they keep 20% of the sale, blah, blah, blah. But this year, we only had in use the two big main halls, and one of the halls was cordoned off for the competition but you know you get there on friday is when you all your traders your sigs your displays your clubs they all go in they set up well this year it was by ticket sale only so you couldn't just turn up on the day and expect to get in and it was uh, it was a way they could control like covid and 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 things like that and keep numbers fairly safe and respectable so the general ticket sale holders were allowed in at 10 a.m., IPMS members at 9 a.m., and traders, dis- workers, basically if you're involved in the show, at 8 a.m. It, it was noticeably quieter than, it, quieter than it was. It was still very busy at some points in the day around 12, dinner time, 1 o'clock. It was, it was at its peak. It was very good. One thing I do want to um, give a shout-out to is a – it's a local – it's not local to me, it's a – it's a brick and mortar store. It's a family-run business. It's Frome Model Center. I was with them over the weekend. I got to know the owners very well, Luke and uh, Katie, who works for them. They are a great team. I, I called them the MVP of the weekend because their stand, it had to be the biggest trader. They had all the kits that you've never seen before. The, is it Suyata? Weird subjects, and I've never seen them in person. They can import all the stuff that other companies have struggled with for years. So they're the go-to place if you want this weird sci-fi stuff or your cars or a lot of Aoshima stuff. So for me, they do all the mission model paints, and I think at the minute they're the exclusive UK importer for SMS paints. So they are the people to go to uh, in the UK. Uh, so a, a bit of a shout for them. But yeah, MVP of the show. I do want to talk about the competition. When when, when the judging goes on, I think it's it starts at 11 and they open it back up at half past three in the afternoon. So they spend a good bit of time judging. And then because they open it up at half three, there's a big queue that starts to form. <laughs> you can see the angst and then they open the door and then everyone shoots straight in to see how they've done. And yeah, do it. Do, I can't argue with 99% of the results. Like the category I was in, I was in class 82 military diorama. I put three of my vignettes in. I have absolutely zero gripe that I got nothing because when you see what actually did win in that category, it's like, that's damn impressive. So fur dues. The first year I entered in 2016, I entered a, a little figure on a vignette and I nearly cried because I got nothing. I've grown up since, but yeah, like 
no bitterness this year. When you see the standard, it's very clear that lockdown has helped modelers really up their modeling game. Like, there wasn't a bad model on display. It was really impressive. I had a really sore throat all weekend because it was just laughing and talking for like two <laughs> days. So I've, I was buggered at the end of it. Coming away from the show, I actually learned two important things. Winning isn't everything because I got nothing in the competition and I actually took more satisfaction away from being inspired by everyone else's builds. I, I, I learned so much from seeing why they won and why I didn't. And I was just like, yeah, to win or to place, I need to up my game. And I was like, yeah, that, that, that's, that's a big thing for me. I've seen what needs to be done to be where those guys are. Uh, one of our listeners, um, and it's Owen something, it's four in the morning, I have forgotten your surname, I apologise, but you do listen. <laughs> so you'll know I'm referring to you, uh, picked up bronze in that category with a stug and it was, it was gorgeous, so well done to him. The other thing I learned was that you can go to these shows and not spend a penny and it's amazing because it's all about the company you keep, the memories you make and the laughs you have with people and the people you get to know. You can not spend a penny and it's still the best weekend of your life. This was an incredible weekend for me. I got to spend time with a really good group of friends, be inspired by people's modeling, get some free paints. And you know what? Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was, it was just incredible. It was a really, really good show. And I got a wristband, so I didn't have to queue up. <laughs> that was the highlight. I didn't have to queue up. <laughs> That's awesome. Man, I can, even though it's four o'clock in the morning and you've got scotch tape holding your eyelids open, <laughs> um, I can feel your excitement. I mean, it's just, that's great. The live streams you did from the show were great. Obviously, you ran into old friends there, Marcus and Malcolm and James. And, you know, it yeah. just looks like, yeah, just a great time. A, a couple of other things I, I want to mention because it's all coming back to me now. I've woken up again. Big, huge shout out to John Murphy for t- standing and talking to me for over an hour about literally everything to do with modeling and seeing his builds in person it's like holy shit when like that's good online but in person that's incredible and it, it would talk about everything all these techniques and why certain things were weathered the way they were and that that m5 and he took the turret off and i was just like this, this just incredible <laughs> but the, the scariest part for me of the entire weekend is when peter peter rusher brought his Mind the Gap diorama, picked it up and just said, hold that. Um, (laughs) I put my hands under it because I thought it was a solid base and the base is hollow. So my hands nearly like went through. (laughs) I was just like, I I, I think I would have just like dropped dead if if I damaged that build. But to see it in person and to be able to to hold it while he's going through all the details and the composition of the scene and why he's done things the way he has, it's like, this is like the best model I've ever seen ever. And he's letting me hold it. That's a lot of trust for a guy he's never met. But again, over an hour speaking to, to Peter about that scene and his models and someone else who is very keen on joining us on on the show which was good i did spend a lot of time getting people in uh for interviews so there's there's gonna be keep your eye out because there's gonna be lots coming up it was just a really good weekend because like this 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 week we had this i say week it was two days we've not had that for like two years and you could see there was a buzz although there were less people everyone was excited everyone was passionate to get back and it was just like yeah if we've got a model show it's back because unfortunately before the show there was a lot of negative people slagging the show off before it's even started saying oh, it's going to be crap this year there's there's hardly any traders what's the point i don't know why but it's like why don't you just let people enjoy stuff and because this this week we had everyone loved it i don't think anyone can walk away saying oh it wasn't worth it really 
It was incredible. It was amazing. People got to socialize again and talk about the best hobby in the world. Every, everything about that is worth it. What a great summary, Ivan. Um, man, John, we, TJ, guys, we got to get over there to Telford. It, it's just, it looks like such an amazing experience. So, Ivan, I have to make this comment because that's all I can think about right now. Every time you say queue up, it reminds me of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which is not a popular movie, but I happen to love it. And when Martin Freeman as Arthur Dent is on Vogue Sphere trying to get, anyways, he goes in line. And when people try to talk him out of him, he goes, no, if there's one thing British people can do, it's queue. And he just stands in line for like an hour doing nothing. And it's hilarious. That's all I can think about it. <laughs> Every time you said you had to queue up for something is Martin Freeman saying that line. Well, we, we queue well. We don't like it, but we do it well. <laughs> <laughs> and one thing as well. Sorry. This was the year I spent the least and yet had the most fun, which just proves buying isn't everything. But it's a lot. Oh, it helps. Yeah, so definitely want to give a shout out, you know, for the show at Hobbytown USA, the IPMS Rob Wolf chapter here in Denver. They were in charge of judging. They helped facilitate a lot of it from checkout to, you know, placing your models on the table and really helped, you know, making that show a great success. So super kudos to Rob Wolf, even though it's not an IPMS sanctioned show. Those folks there certainly did a great job carrying the IPMS torch. So thank you again so much for that. All right, uh, so we're going to cap off this episode with a Triple P interview segment sponsored by Sean's Custom Model Tools, makers of the awesome Super Sanding Blocks and many other great modeling products. These blocks allow you to have controlled precision sanding that yield fantastic results. Today's interview is with our close friend Aaron, a.k.a. Armor Cook. Aaron is a 148th scale armor junkie and all-around cool dude who also can be talked into doing 135th scale armor like he's doing for a uh, M3 and M4 group build. So sit back and enjoy our interview. Thanks listeners for tuning in today. Our Modeler Minute features Aaron Cook, also goes by AK Armor, close friend of the podcast. We've known him for a while. Super happy to get him on here to talk about his hobby, the hobby in general, and then where he sees it going in the future. So how are you today, Aaron? Doing great, John. Thanks for asking. Happy to be here. So with us today also, we have TJ, who just stepped out conveniently, and Scott as well. So Scott, since you're here, how are you doing? Doing good, Aaron. It's about time, man. <laughs> it is about time. It's about time. Glad to be here. <laughs> so before we jump into it, you know, what we love to pull is the most recent post people uh, have on their Facebook page. And what we saw on yours is a large scale dewback. Can you talk more about what that subject is and <laughs> why is it sitting in front of a king tiger? Sure, sure. Actually, it's a great thing to, to start off with because it, uh, it it was a memory as well as Facebook memories that comes up. And I think it was from three years ago or so, which is a, a perfect illustration of my modeling life in general on a number of levels. Uh, first, the, the do-back is by a company called Stan Arts. It's a resin 112th scale kit of the do-back, which is my favorite Star Wars character. I, I saw it, stumbled on it somewhere on the internet. It looked really cool. Um, obviously, it goes with Bandai 112 scale kits. And I was thinking, man, I have to have one of those, which is really one of my modeling vices as I get obsessed with something and I have to search it out and search it out and find it. It's both a combination of wanting the subject matter to get it, to build it, builds a loose word. Also, the challenge of actually finding it. 
you know, I could check off the box that who I found it, you know, a challenge uh, accomplished. Then I got it. Like most things, once I get in, like, okay, here I have it. I should do something with it. I post on Facebook, showed it next to a 135th scale King Tiger for size because the thing is flipping huge, to be honest. It's been sitting in the box ever since, which is kind of how most of my modeling acquisitions go. I'm really <laughs> excited about them. I get them. I dream about them until they they show up. Then I sit there and look at them and go, ah, that's nice. And then, then they go disappear in a box and they stay there for years and years and years. That Dubeck's going to go great with those uh, Jawas that you did in 112 scale, Aaron. Yeah, I printed off some 3D printed Jawas. Uh, it's just 3D printing in general or something. I, I got a 3D printer and actually I think, John, you kind of, you're to blame for this because I think you had a 3D printer and, and I saw some of that stuff. I got kind of obsessed with printing in 3D uh, for my, my primary scale, which is 148 scale armor. It's perfect for uh, some of the, the detail sets and especially for tracks there. And there's a, 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 it's called 3D 48th. There's a 3D printing group on Facebook specifically specifically for 48 scale armor. And there were some awesome designs that were out there, including tracks for most of like the, the Panzer IV, Panzer III series, and really cool stuff, hollow guide horns, uh, the Winter Ketten type track extensions. And so I disappeared into the world of 3D printing for a while and apparently overdid it because I developed some sort of weird skin allergy that the only thing I could equate it back to was the the, the resin for 3D printing. And basically anytime I now even get in the same room as 3D printing resin, my nose and ears break out in some weird itchy hive thing. So I, I haven't touched the 3D printer much since then. Uh, fortunately, I think I got all my tracks I needed for most of my stuff uh, printed out. Someday I might, I've moved it from the basement where it's a little bit more enclosed and maybe the fumes weren't you know, getting ventilated enough, I moved it out into the garage and I switched resins to some of the, the water-based resins. So, Well, hopefully they make some water-based resins or something that'll, that'll uh, help you out there because I know you're not the only one that's had reactions. Now, is that holocast because it's massive? Yeah, he called it rotocast. I don't know enough about resin casting, yeah, but it spin it. Okay, it's got thick walls, though. I mean, they're they're probably at least a half inch, if not more, thick. I mean, it's oh, heavy. Wow. Yeah, it's okay. It does not feel fragile at all. It it feels like it would take some considerable effort to break that open. Let's take a step back and maybe talk more about you, how you got in the hobby, and and how how we met, uh, you know, and met the podcast for that matter. So, talk about how you got into the hobby at the, you know, in the earliest days. Sure. And, and, you know, I've, I've listened to a, a lot of the podcasts you guys have been doing and they've been awesome. And, you know, it, it seems like everyone has kind of a similar path somewhere around seven, eight, nine. You get interested in, in modeling. I, I really can't think of any one exact moment. The, the story I, I mostly tell people is that growing up, I never was really allowed to play with war toys. Like for whatever reason, my parents weren't really interested in me playing with war toys. They're products of parents who grew up in you know the World War II generation. It was the early 70s. So it was Vietnam era. And, and I think everyone was a little worn out. And so I, I remember a, a matchbox. I think they're called the Super Kings or the War Kings. They're like a die cast and there's a King Tiger and I really wanted it. Nope, you can't have these these die-cast war toys. Even at seven or eight, I found a loophole. And that loophole was apparently models were educational. So I could have models of war to of war items like tanks or airplanes, just not the die-cast toys. That I believe is the start of it. I just I just loved them ever since. I loved the instructions. I loved the the steps needed to to build them. I don't know. It just sort of happened. My dad 
doesn't build models. He's an engineer. My mom has always been. She was a, a very artsy, craftsy person. I think mainly they supported me, though, even if they weren't really interested in it themselves. My my parents always supported me in, in this hobby and Christmas and birthdays, you know, going back, I'd always have, you know, pictures of me with the monogram B29 kit, you know, with the Shep Payne inserts into it or stuff like that. Really cool model kits. I have a picture of me at, I think, I think it was maybe my 11th or 12th birthday with my Pache H airbrush, my first airbrush. You know, my parents would always, you know, I needed glue. My mom would, you know, stop by the hobby shop with me and get the glue. My dad took me to the IPMS meeting every, you know, once, I think it was on Sunday nights, every, you know, month, you know, he would faithfully drive me to this model show. And, you know, even though it was the night before he was leaving for work the next morning early and he would sit in the corner reading his Reader's Digest Condensed Stories book, patiently wait for me at like 10 to be done talking with all these other chain smoking guys that were like more his age. It was good that they always supported me. So, you know, like everyone else somewhere in high school, you know, discovered girls and cars. And, you know, once I discovered they hadn't discovered me, I eventually went back to modeling, I guess. I'll, I'll talk about one more person that really supported me. And that was my brother-in-law. His name was, was Mike Haggerty. And he was a combat photographer in the Air Force. Before I met him, he was he lived in California. My sister lived in California. She was in the Air Force and they met there. We were going to go out to their wedding. We were going to drive out there and combine it with a family vacation. And, you know, I was like a 14-year-old geeky, nerdy kid, scrawny, you know, never played sports. You know, all I did was build models. And so I'm going to meet this guy who he just came back from Grenada. And there's pictures of his pictures in Grenada of him with the, I think it was the 82nd Airborne taking pictures of them around the island. And I'm like, what am I going to, like, I have nothing. Like, this guy's going to look at me and laugh. Like, I'm not going to have anything <laughs> in common with him. My sister said he built models. I met him and he came up and he's like, buddy, you saved my ass. Because I thought your sister would be like looking at me like, who's this grown adult who's building models and thinks that's weird. And, you know, I have this big closet full of models in my apartment. But she was like, no, my little brother loves them too. And like, it was totally normal for her. So we, we bonded from that. He built airplanes. I built tanks. It, it really kind of was pre-internet days, kind of, you know, somebody that I could talk to and, you know, bond with over models. You know, he passed away. You know, it's been it's going to be 20 years next February, I believe. Uh, he was in a car wreck, but uh, he was a good guy. Really kind of helped maintain my enthusiasm, I think, maybe through my teenage years for building models. You know, as I said, and as you hear everyone else say, you know, you discover cars, girls, you grow up a little bit and you kind of get away from it. I did. And then it was actually Mike's, uh, Mike's uh, death that kind of got me back into it. They had, he had retired from the Air Force and he had moved to uh, Kentucky and he took a job on Fort Knox doing some PR work for the Army. And so, you know, I'd go down and visit them and, you know, he's like, well, let's go over to this museum. And so I went to the Armor Museum back when there was actual armor at the museum in Fort Knox and see the tanks and everything. And that was really cool. And, but then when he passed away, you know, he was 42, 43 at the time. It wasn't really expected. And we were a little lost on how to handle some of the, the, the funeral procedures and all that. My sister's next door neighbor at the time, he uh, he really helped us out. He was a tanker, a retired tanker. I can thank this guy. I can build him a model. You know, I can build him a model. I told him, I said, what's what's the favorite tank you, you know, operated on? And it was a M48A5 Patton. It's like, I can do that. So he sent me a few pictures of his his tank and, you know, it's in the four color uh, scheme, you know, at the time. And I kind of dove in. I had, a, I think I started with the Tamiya kit. Then I grabbed, a, I think there's an Academy kit, kind of blended the two together to 
get what Squadron Signals M48 in action said was an accurate M48A5, which who knows if it is or not, but it was close enough. It was also a different time in modeling. And so turn metal barrel, first time I used that, AFV club, individual track links, you know, all these things that are fairly new, Mr. Surfacer, all this stuff that I never photo etched, never used before, but I poured it all into this model and built him a pretty cool kit and, and hand it to him as a, as a thank you. And that kind of got me like, you know, I really really kind of forgot how much I enjoyed this. And uh, so pretty soon I went from no kits to, I don't know, a hundred or so, (laughs) like all the stuff. And at the same time, I remember picking up a military miniatures in review. And then that led to a a, a AFE modeler and and seeing the the work in there is just stunning to me. And I was like, wow, this is, this is like the little Shep Payne inserts or the Verlinden book times 10. And so I just, I dove all in, didn't really produce much in that time frame. I just, I, I dove all in and in obtaining some of the stuff and kind of just fooling around a little bit with kits. But I mean, I, I, I love more than anything else looking through the books and the magazines. Then uh, my wife got pregnant and we were, you know, starting a family. And I did what I always think I do in this hobby and that start overthinking stuff too much. And I started really thinking, you know what, what does this hobby really do? contribute to anyone but myself what what will this do to provide for my family you know i have friends who are woodworkers and they can build a a cabinet for their family but i I can build a tank and one day i arrived at the conclusion i was just going to ebay everything and sell it and get out and i did that I, i sold everything i had every model kit every book other than i think i kept like the shep Payne, you know how to build dioramas like maybe a handful of books my exacto knife, my airbrush, more for sentimental reasons than anything else, but everything else gone. I didn't really miss it. You know, that was 2008, I want to say, for about six years or so. I really didn't miss it much. But then, I don't know, I started thinking, you know what? I really miss those military miniatures and review magazines. I really miss those AFE modelers. Uh, Facebook had just started kind of becoming a thing. And I had always kind of came back to missing links and some of the other forums every once in a while to look and see what was there. And so I started kind of dipping my toe back in there. And one day on a whim, I had a bunch of eBay money burning a hole in my pocket. One of my other kind of addictions, I guess, is sewing on eBay and I sold a bunch of just junk around the house and I had some money burning the hole in my pocket. And I threw out something on missing links, I think it was, saying, hey, does anyone happen to have, say, you know, issue one through whatever it was at that point current of military miniatures in review and AFB modeler? They want to sell me. I want to like buy them all. (laughs) Guy in Germany. Uh, his name's escaping me right now, but one of the guys who does the Nuts and Bolts magazines, it's like, matter of fact, I have those, and I have an extra copy of both series of magazines, and they might be expensive getting to you in, in the U.S. And I was like, well, throw me a number and let me see, and he threw me a number, and it was, it was a little pricey, but I started thinking of what it was going to cost me in both time and money to try to piece together that collection you know, one by one on my own. It really wasn't a crazy number at all. And so uh, I said, let's do it. And uh, so he shipped them to me. DHL Surface, which took about seven months, I think, to get <laughs> from Germany. Which was, and, you know, I'm sweating it the whole time. I'm like, okay, I mean, because it's big. I mean, it's magazines. It's big, heavy boxes. And amazingly, and it was two different boxes. And amazingly, they came through okay. And uh, I just started getting back into it. I never rejoined any of the, like the IPMS club or anything. I did that as a kid. I was kind of their mascot. 
you know, I was a young kid, everyone else is, you know, these like 50, 60 year old guys, you know, smoking their cigarettes and bitching about whatever, you know, 172nd scale airplane model just got released, which was all wrong. And they were good guys. So don't get me wrong. You know, I got my first job ever from one of them. They, our, we met at the Air Force Museum. Our Sunday night monthly meeting was at the Air Force Museum. I was 16 and hopping back here on the timeline, but I was 16 and, you know, one of them got me a job there flipping burgers at the Air Force Museum. And these guys were good to me. I was, you know, always really good to me. I felt like when I was older myself, I, I didn't feel like I was going to find the same group, you know, out there. So I never really even tried. I never really tried to get into the social aspect. And, you know, when I, when I dipped my toe back in after my brother-in-law was killed, you know, I, I went to a couple shows I mean, I went down to Atlanta I had a conversation with Adam Wilder in Atlanta about one of his kits saying how awesome it looked and everything. That was about as close to social interaction as I got. You know, I, I drove to Atlanta, Georgia by myself, 10 hours, stayed overnight at a hotel two nights, had maybe three conversations with people, walked around, looked at kits, got back in my car and drove back to Ohio. What year was that? Was that 2013? No, that was... I. I I want to say that was, I thought it was like 2005. It was early. Oh, wow. Okay. But I could so be wrong on those dates. I, I could be mixed up on those. I'm sorry. Was that the IPMS Nationals? I think it was. I think it was a Nationals. So that was 05 okay. and Wilder was there with his T-34 against the, yes, uh, the church. church looking. Yes, yeah. That was it. Yep. Yeah, that was it because it was that model. And I'm sitting there and, and you know, it was a very brief conversation and I'm like, man, I love your models and they're really an inspiration to me. And, and, and he laughs. He goes, they just photograph well. And I'm like, ha, 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 sure. <laughs> and then I started thinking about it. And in a way, he's right. In a way, he's right. Like, And his model was gorgeous. His model, yeah, it did photograph well. It looked well in person. But I started looking more critically at other models. And in a way, he's right. There's models that you show, you see on a magazine and then you see it in person. And you're like, huh. And it's not the same. And there are definitely models that photographs work better for and then vice versa. There's models that the photographs don't pick up all the nuances. Yeah. So, I mean, I just never really delved into the social aspect of it. I, I had started a Facebook page, the AK Armor. Now it's Aaron Cook Armor because Facebook doesn't like AK as my first name or AK Interactive doesn't like AK Armor as my name. I don't know what happened, but somehow <laughs> I was told to change it. I got into that, but again, I was just looking at models. I wasn't really interacting with many people. And, you know, I, I continued to go to shows. I, I, I was at a show, going up to a show in Cleveland, and, you know, there's this model, this T-34, this crosshatch white camouflage on it, and it had just been on the cover of a, what, Military Illustrated Modeler. Mm -hmm. The magazine's there, and the kit's there. I'm like, I, I think that's the kit. That's the build on the front of that magazine. What? How did that end up in Cleveland, Ohio? And there was this guy standing behind the, the counter of the vendor table, and so I... uh start talking to him and it's, uh, it's John Bonani here who uh, you don't understand. And I know we've talked about this before in the chat. Like, I don't think I'm an antisocial person, but how big of a deal that was for me to engage in a conversation proactively at a model show. I just didn't do it. And it, I don't know why I just, just never really did it. And, uh, and so we chatted for a little bit and kind of hit it off and a year would go by, then we'll run into each other at another model show and just hit it off. I think we drove up, you know, you picked me up at my house one time and we drove up to that same Cleveland show a few years yep. later, been to a, a few other shows and, and some of your buds that you travel with, Dustin and Mike, it's been cool. And and from that, you know, I, I think at that show, you'd say, Hey, I've got a Facebook page. You should friend me. And I friended you. And really that's when I started thinking, you know what, this social aspect, Facebook is really good, not just to find modelers. Cause I can go, I can go to the local IPMS show. I can go to the local hobby store and find modelers. And I don't know a nice politically way to say that, but there's some guys building models out there who are really weird and really geeks. 
<laughs> and, and, and I know I'm weird and I'm a geek, but I need to find weird geeks that are the same weird geek like I am. <laughs> and not too much, not too little. <laughs> like finding people who who can laugh at themselves, who can build models yet still, I don't know, talk to somebody of the opposite sex. The internet has really helped me find those people out there who are that right level of weirdness and geekiness that that I think I am and, uh, you know, connect with them. And, you know, I've made some really good, you know, friendships with these people, you guys included, obviously, since then. And so all because, you know, a, a, a T-34 sitting on a vendor table with the magazine <laughs> next to it, I, I literally almost walked away. And then I was like, you know what? I'm a, I'm a grown-ass adult. I can talk to other human beings and... <laughs> And it's, you know, I, I think, you know, you're, you're JB closet modeler. Cause that's it. I was a closet modeler and I still am. There aren't that many people in my life who know I build models. You know, I've worked at the same company 25 years and maybe two people there know I maybe do something with models. I just don't talk about it. And I don't necessarily know if I'm embarrassed. I'm sure if you Google my name, people can connect it. I just, I don't know if, if, if you're not into it, I don't see how I'm going to explain it to you. No, I, I get it. I mean, that's that's why I made the name Closet Modeler, yeah. you know, physically and, you know, I guess emotionally or uh, I'm there. But And it's funny because I want to go back to the 05 Atlanta show. I was, I think I was 19 at the time and I was at that show. Yeah. So I'm, I'm sure funny. we, you know, crossed paths. Yeah, which is funny. It's just, I mean, I went to Amps. I went to the one in Maryland two times, I think. And that again, I mean, I literally drove there. These guys are all tank modelers. I mean, they are. there's no more refined target market I could find than that. And I drove there and walked around and came home. I, I just, yeah. you know, I, I wish I would have been a little bit more proactive then of, of reaching out to people. So I, I, I guess if there's any words of wisdom out of that is, you know, just these are people that, you know, we share passion with and, you know, we do have stuff in common and reach out and chat with people. What what year were you at AMPS? Do, do you recall early 2000s? Like oh, one yeah, or two time frame? No, it was, it, uh, it was right around that same time frame as the, the Atlanta show. Okay. I, I want to say it was maybe that year and maybe... 06, but I, you know, it all okay. kind of blurs together after a while. I only ask because I was there in 05. I yeah. went back uh, during the spring of my, I had just started college then. So I, I went back. So again, cross paths and didn't even know. I know. It. Yeah. Crazy small world. I spend a lot of time in modeling, thinking about modeling and thinking about my place in modeling and thinking about it in general. And I, I sometimes that's a good thing, but sometimes it's a bad thing. I, I, I spend more time thinking about it and then actually doing. And I, I'm really trying to do more. JB, you, you really do a good job of just hopping in and slamming stuff out, you call them the slammer builds. And, mm -hmm. and I need to do more of that because I, I spend too much time looking at all these kits that are around me, collecting all the parts and all the aftermarket. And, you know, I get caught up in that. I need to be able to do this to it. I need to super detail it this way. I need to do that, mm -hmm. that because I, I feel like I can. I feel like I have the skills to be able to do it. So I must, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I need to, I need to just say, you know, I don't need to do all that stuff. And quite frankly, not that many people are going to even notice. Mm -hmm. I don't even know. Like when I go to a, a model show and look at the stuff on the tables, you know, it's about the paint. It's about the finish. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, that's what catches your eye. Never do I look and see, you know, are these extra bolt details added? Is that, you know, grab handle wire done? Unless I'm judging. But like, you know, if I'm just 
walking through, I, I'm not thinking of that stuff at all. So if I'm not paying attention to that stuff, who cares? Just go build models and enjoy, you know, the, the build, enjoy the paint work and the finish. And, you know, TJ, you know, I think you've built more models this year so far than I was counting up here on my shelf. Like I've built since I got back in whenever, like 2016-ish or whatever. I mean, like last year I built three. And I, I'm, I have three built this year, and that's like a huge accomplishment. I just need to build one more this year, and I can say, hey, I'm more productive than last year. And that's mm -hmm. that's really, I don't know, sad in a way. I will say, though, Aaron, the one thing I think you have in common with a lot of us is you're your own worst critic, and you have that in common with TJ and, and myself, too. But, I mean, we've all seen your work, and we've seen how good you do it. And if I was being a friend in a, a critical kind of way, I would say that you don't give yourself enough credit. You do overthink it, like you said, because you're a great model. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Yeah, I think most people are their own worst critics. And I, you know, like anyone, I, I strive for some of the attention. I like, you know, a little bit of the ego, you know, you post something on Facebook and you get the, the likes and the comments and, and, and that's cool. But sometimes I think you get caught in that trap, right? You get caught in that, you know, produce for, you know, the attention and that isn't all to it. You can, you can, you know, I come down here and sit in my model shop without actually building quite a bit and just sit and look at my models. And like, I tend to be a person who likes them the longer they've sat here and aged, you know, at first I sit there and like, oh, that's the most horrible thing I've ever done. And then like a month or two later, I'm like, hey, you know what? That's actually pretty decent. And then after that, it's like, you know what? I built that. I'm proud of that. I don't remember how I did it because it's been so long since I've built in between. Like I've got to relearn all the techniques every single time. But, you know, whatever I did at that point worked. Aaron, one thing that I, I know you're really focused on as of late is 48 scale armor. Today, I think it was, we got the announcement that Tamiya has dropped a couple of new uh, 148 scale armor kits. So you must be pretty excited about that. I am definitely. They, uh, the the, uh, the Nashorn coming out, it says Tamiya's number one. 100 in the uh, the 148 scale range. So uh, there's there's already rumblings. A couple of people disappointed that that's the 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 number 100 kit. I think they were expecting something a, a, a little bit more like a famo, you know, the the half track uh, or you know a dragon wagon, you know, the U.S. tank transporter or something grand. You know, I don't want to be on like Tamaya's like blacklist here or something, but I it, it probably wouldn't have been my choice as as a number 100. I would have liked to seen like a Jagdpanzer IV, uh, something like that but it's i think it's a solid kit i think it's a, a pretty safe bet for tamaya honestly i'm not surprised at all nashorn's a a fairly no-brainer kit i think for tamaya um i don't know if they've gone a little conservative with covid and, and are, are playing it a little safe uh, i mean it'll sell very well you know i think the other set was a figure set i don't do figures i have a hard enough time liking my tank models let alone trying to paint a figure and let alone trying to paint a 148 scale figure that that doesn't do anything for me. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's exciting. I'm just happy that Tamaya continues to support the 148 scale line. It's a decent choice. And as I said, I just I'm just happy they continue to support it, continue to release a, a bunch of 148 scale stuff. I've got quite a few of their kits. There's there's some competitors coming up now that are going to give them a run for their money, but uh, ultimately, at the end of the day, I think Tamaya knows exactly what they're doing. They have this this beautiful blend of ease of build, accuracy, accessibility, and just gorgeous molding. Suyata seems to be doing really amazing things in 148 scale. Yeah, you've you've spoken pretty highly of those Suyata kits. 
Yeah, I've got the Panther um, with the crane. I mean, I haven't built it yet. From what I've seen looking at the sprues, it's, it's gorgeous. I mean, it truly is gorgeous. Um, I've got uh, a T90 on the way sometime between now and like October, I think it should <laughs> arrive. Who knows? Uh, it's coming from Japan, so uh, it'll be here sometime. But uh, And from what I've seen, there's a couple of them that are you know, already in people's hands, and that looks to be an incredible kit. I, I tend to gravitate to, to World War II armor. I, I'm really liking some of the, the modern stuff that's coming out too, and, and I'd love to see more modern stuff. There isn't that much on the 48 scale front. I think World War II armor is pretty well covered between what Tamaya does, Hobby Boss does, uh, some of the resin conversion kits, but the, the modern stuff is, is wide open. Uh, I think the next kit after the T90 is a uh, uh, a Tiger One, which, you know, of course, everyone and their brother goes, oh my God, why do we need another Tiger One? And apparently they've missed Business 101 of understanding that <laughs> other companies' Tiger Ones don't put money in their pocket. So I'm interested. I'll, I'll certainly buy it. AFV Club, if you've ever seen their 148 scale Tigers, both the early and the late are incredibly detailed kits. The the late one, especially, has got the, the molded on Zimmerit and it just is a gorgeous kit. And it's, mm-hmm. it quite frankly, is far better than the, the, the Tamaya Tiger. It'll be the, the standard to judge any new Tiger by. So I'm, I'm interested to see what they do with that. Yeah, it's the best 48 scale kit that I built. The only thing that I replaced was the barrel. For some reason, the barrel was quite oversized. So I just, I got an aluminum one for that. But like you said, the molded on Zimmerit was nice and fine and in scale. And it came with the engine, photo etch engine screens on it. I think I've got a, the, the Bronco... SU-152, the, the Russian self-propelled gun, is probably my favorite 148 scale kit. It's gorgeous. It can be built completely with no aftermarket. There's there's not much aftermarket for it. There's no barrel out there and you don't need one. It's a one-piece slide molded barrel uh, that cleans up really nice. It's got link and length tracks that can be assembled and look really nice. And I bought photo etch screens for it but the plastic molded screens on the kit are gorgeous with just a little bit of a you know a, a deep wash in them and then a, a dry brush over them they look far better than the photo etch ever would i was proud of myself i'm like well i've got the photo etch i must use it and i you know sitting there with the the saw to start cutting out the molded in screens and like there's no way that what i'm going to produce here is ever going to look as good as this why am i why am i thinking of doing it and and i'm glad i didn't because i look at it now and quite frankly if, if bronco would sell that little part of the sprue of just those molded, pre-molded screens, the engine deck screens, I would buy those to put on all my Hobby Boss kits and all my Tamaya KV kits because they're they're just gorgeous. So so I got a topic I want to talk about. We're going to shift gears and maybe a topic that I think everybody around the table here has built one. Let's talk World War II tanks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, I feel like they're the, uh, the, they're, the, they're the trigger for armor modelers these days. You either love them or hate them. I think everybody on the line here loves them, but specifically let's look at some of yours maybe talk about the Isherman first then we'll go into your bucket build which is my personal favorite um so maybe talk about how you kind of got into them why do you like them and and then we can focus on the bucket build sure uh, again I'd, i you know I, I saw these tune tanks and they're you know what they're like 15 dollars at the most they're super easy and and i bought a few of them thinking i'll just slam these together and use them for practice on painting and weathering and, and of course, that never happened. I, I think the uh, Michigan Toy Soldier, uh, the, the hobby shop, had a, a Toon Tanks contest. And it was like it's like $50 or $100 gift card to their shop uh, that, you know, for first, second, third place. And you, you could enter in your Toon Tanks and paint it however you wanted, modify it however you wanted. I was like, you know what? I should do that. And I'll, obviously, I'll have to make it 
something different than just stock. Fury had just come out. I'm like, okay, why don't I make a Sherman with like the Easy 8 suspension and, you know, make it like Fury? And then I'm like, everyone and their brother is going to make flipping Fury tune tanks, which ironically never happened. But, you know, yeah. at the time, everyone was making Fury Easy 8 Shermans in 135th scale. And, you know, it's like a Whitman Tiger 1 or something. And, and like, <laughs> I just like so tired of seeing Fury Shermans. And I'm like, well, what else can I make with an Easy 8, you know, suspension on a Sherman? I'm like, why am I not making a I Sherman or a Super Sherman or whatever? You know, I'm, I'm, probably, you know, upsetting the IDF gods by, you know, not using the right terminology. But <laughs> I'm like, okay, how am I going to make this? And I, I had a, I, I've got a, one of my few 135th scale kits left. I've got the Tamiya M51 kit, but I also had a Dragon M51 kit that I was going to rob parts from tracks and some of the, some of the, I think the metal barrel and some of the photo etch. And so I'm like, I've got extra easy eight suspension parts so I could probably put the 135th scale Easy 8 suspension onto the tune tank. I could cobble together some of the extra, you know, the, the side fittings, like the stowage boxes and the jerry cans and the spare road wheels that go on the side of the Israeli Shermans. I can't even tell you the level of excitement, enthusiasm I got into this project. Like I was literally like giggling like a little boy as I started like thinking this through and putting it together. And it was like pure joy, more so than any other modeling had been. And I like got so more into it. And I'm like, I, I got all the stuff down of how I wanted to do the haul. Like, what am I going to do on this this turret? Because, of course, you need your tune tank to be accurate. So you can't have, like, the wrong <laughs> commander's, you know, hatch or whatever. And, and then I was like, well, there's a Hobby Boss kit that has the right hatch with the right vision ports, but I don't want to waste the whole Hobby Boss kit. But then in further investigation, that Hobby Boss kit had two complete turrets in it. So mm-hmm. I could just build the other version with the Hobby Boss kit, rob the parts I need, but not waste the whole kit. And so, you know, I got all that together and I'm like, what am I going to do for this big giant barrel? And I had J.R. Rubio, one of the old, oh, yeah. you know, old school, you know, metal barrels, one of the original ones. I had a 135th scale M26 Pershing barrel that had not sold on eBay. You know, I'd been trying to dump this thing with old kits and everything forever. And like, it, it, no one wanted it. And I'm like, what am I going to do with it? I'm like, you know, for a tune tank, this thing's going to have just enough of an exaggerated muzzle brake that it'll be close enough to like the muzzle brake on the, the Israeli type Shermans. So I had all this stuff together. I, I made like the rear, you know, turret extension out of literally a Panzer IV stowage box, turret stowage box turned upside down. Nice. Huddied it all together, cobbled it all together. I mean, I loved every second of that build. So excited about it. You know, painted it all together, published it out there. Seemed to be very well received other than I think the Sherman modeling page or something like Tune tanks are no longer allowed in that group. Like, oh boy, you know some of these guys who are like chiming in, and they're like, "Why would you go through all the effort of like building and painting and like all the cleaning these parts for something that's not accurate?" I'm like, because it was fun. Because I had fun. I like enjoyed. I had more fun doing this than any other model I've done. I mean, it was just a blast. It was well received. I, I don't think it was first place. I think it was third, maybe second. I think it was third. So I got like 50 bucks or 75 bucks or something out of it from Michigan Toy Soldier Company. So uh, they had talked about it being published in an AK Interactive magazine or some sort of publication. I never heard anything else of it. And then AK came out with this, um, I've got it here, what's it called? Uh, Tune Models, something. They had a a book about building tune models. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I saw that book was published and I never heard anything. My my FedEx like tracker that tracks when you get packages sent told me I was getting a package from Spain. Like I didn't order anything from Spain. And so I logged into FedEx and I look at it and it said package from AK Interactive, you know, coming. Okay, what is this? What is this? And I kept tracking it and eventually it just disappeared. It never got sent. So apparently I 
got off that list somehow. But it made me think, I said, I wonder if they were about ready to send everyone who has a, a model in that book a copy of the book. And then for whatever reason, it never happened. So when the book hit, I was like, I'm just ordering one because I want to know. I'm dying to know if if my model's in there. And uh, so I get it and I'm looking through it and there's a gallery at the back. And it's, sure enough, it's in there. Uh, now, disappointingly, there's no credit. There's no names on anyone's models. It's just mod- just the, the kit. It's like, damn it, I wish I would have at least gotten like a byline on it or something. But I was just excited to see it in print. I was excited to see like, holy cow, that's my model sitting there on this page. And it was really cool. And, you know, I just, I loved it. And again, it's, it's the most fun I had had up to that point on building a model. And it just, and it was easy. I, I, I could dip into it being historically accurate. I'm using air quotes here in some parts. Like I, I painted it like it was like the real deal, even though it's a tune tank, you know, I wanted it to be, I wanted it to be recognizable for what it was, but you know, I didn't have to worry. Like it has like a 148 scale turret parts, but 135th scale suspension and whatever worked to make it, but it, it came together. And it, I mean, it, it seemed to mesh together. There's probably four or five other guys now who have, you know, built versions of that as well. And so it was just, it was a blast. I mean, I loved it. Of course, like everything else, I then bought like, I think 25, 30 Toon Tank models and I was going to go all in. I had like a, you know, a little list of all the different modifications I'm going to do to each one. The next year rolls around, the Michigan Toy Soldier Company's doing another contest. And so I had already by that point done the bucket build. When we can come back. I know you want to talk about the bucket build, which is the, mm-hmm. the Berg Panther. Uh, the Berg Panther is well received. But then I, so I was going to enter that, but I'm like, I want to enter something else. I, I really want to do like a big major diorama. I was like, okay, what am I going to do here? And I had a, I had the T3476 tune tank with, of course, the conversion kit to make it a <laughs> T3485 because you need a resin conversion kit for your tune tank. Like, what am I, and I want it to be, you know, bed spring armor and all that, which is a little cliched. You know, it's, it's a bed spring armor T3485 is just as cliched as I think the Whitman Tiger or a, a Fury Sherman. But <laughs> I wanted to do it. Somewhere along the way, I, I hit on the idea that I want to do a tribute build. And I think, John, I, I think we we're at Amps up in Buffalo. And I think I was talking to you and Mike and Dustin and told you guys on this idea. And I told you, don't tell anyone. This is what I want to do. <laughs> I said, I want to do a tribute build to Adam Wilder's, um, I think it's Red Storm Rising, yeah, drama that was in uh, two different issues of AFV Modeler. Yep, you know it's the T thirty four climbing over the top of a factory. There's a factory smokestack there. There's a Panther, you know, that's fallen through the floor and is in the basement. Now the T thirty four is driving over the top of that, and it was one of those. You know, it was early on in my getting back in the hobby. One of those like aha moments where I, I saw that and I'm like, holy crap, that is like that's it. That's what I want. You know, this this guy Adam is like, you know, reached out and spoke to me. And so I remember that. And I was like, you know what? I want to do, I want to do, let's call it a tribute build. Cause I don't want to say I'm copying it. Cause that's not very respectful or nice, but I want to do a tribute build. I want to do something that replicates that in some degree, but does it with these tune tanks. So no one thinks, oh, look at this schmuck. He's just copying Adams. You know, I didn't ask anyone. I didn't like email Adam Wilder and say, hey, what do you think of this idea? I didn't email Dave Parker, who, you know, AFE Modeler and say, I'm going to steal the idea off this magazine cover of yours. I, I just built it and was like, hope for the best. But again, I, I just had this, I just had this blast doing it. You know, I built the, the, the two tanks and then I started working on this base all the groundwork and all the bricks and, and everything. And again, it's a, it's a mismatch between 135th and 148th scale stuff. You know, I got it done. I'm, I'm not my own worst critic, Scott, when it comes to tune tanks. I can look at my tune tank and go, you know what? That looks pretty flipping awesome. I, I'm happy with that. Like, 
I don't know if it's because it's not reality or it's not supposed to be reality, but somehow I look at it and I'm like, I'm proud of that. I like that. And I look at this, I'm like, you know what? This is awesome. Like, I'm like, I'm, it's up here on my shelf right now. I look at it and I, I, I love it. So I threw it out there on, on Facebook, of course. And uh, I'm like, you know, I tried to explain this is a tribute build. This is what I thought the, the turret number of the, uh, the, the T-34 and uh, the smokestack number, the stencil and the smokestack number are, are the issue numbers of the AFV modeler magazines that were the inspiration. You know, tried to explain the whole thing. And it, again, was well-received. Adam Wilder posted there. And, and, and you know, Adam, Adam hasn't been that active. He's starting to get a little bit more active again on social media. But at that point, he really wasn't active that much. I think he'd kind of gone, gone into, I don't know, semi-retirement or something and just didn't seem to be on the model scene for a while. But he he posted, he said something to the effect of, you know, this is one of the nicest compliments. Thank you. Yes. It's one of the nicest compliments that anyone's ever given me. And like the fact he took the time to do that, like meant everything to me. It was really like, wow, this is awesome. So, you know, I entered that in the, the, the Michigan Toy Soldier competition and it did well there. Uh, it actually hasn't been to any actual live model shows. It was done in February 2020. And so it never got to a, an actual model show. Probably going to take it to the AMP show in uh, Indiana in August. I'm anxious to see what kind of feedback it gets. But yeah, the, the tune tanks are very polarizing. There's people who just don't get it. But surpri- there's a surprising number of people who do. Yeah, it's... Uh, it's been fun. And then, you know, in between the two kind of hopping around the timeline was the, the Berg Panther. And, and that was who had just come out with the, the 135th scale. Meng did. They, they came, yeah. I think they were the first to the market, weren't they? I think so. So they were coming out with the, the 135th scale Berg Panther. And, and I wanted, again, something original. And if you follow any of the Toon Tank groups at the time, that was kind of the thing. Everyone was, everyone was starting to build crazy you know, modifications and, 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 you know, every day there's somebody new who had some sort of different, different modification or conversion of a tune tank. And like, it was kind of a race, like, what are people going to do? And Meng came out with the Berg Panther and I thought it's a no brainer. Everyone in the world is going to do a, a, a Berg Panther tune tank. It's quite frankly, fairly easy to do, you know, with the regular Panther kit. So I jumped on that and I, you know, started really working lots of evergreen sheet styrene and, you know, built the box and, you know, built the, uh, cabin, I guess, if you want to call it, made a crane out of like styrene rod. And then, you know, I, I printed off some scale plans of the, the blade on the back. I didn't print them off to any scale. I just printed them off to whatever looked like it was going to fit roughly behind this thing because it wasn't any real scale. And, you know, traced it around on sheet styrene and cut it out and started gluing it together and made it into the, 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 the plow blade or whatever it, it is on the back of that. And it was serving the original purpose that I started the whole tune tank thing with, and that was practice. I mean, it was serious evergreens, sheet styrene, you know, nothing else, gluing it all together, scratch building skills that I really hadn't done before. And so it was a great first kind of try at some of that. Oh, this isn't really as hard as I thought it was going to be. I mean, you're just gluing stuff together. Now, if I do it again, I just need to make sure I actually do it in a real scale. So, you know, and then I, I got it done. I really liked it. It needed more. I didn't know what it needed. It needed something more. And so somewhere along the way, I'm like, oh, every German tank needs a bucket, but I need a base for this. And I don't really want to just hang a bucket on the back. What happens if I make the bucket into the base? And it's like one of those moments like, ah, and I start laughing again. I'm like, oh my God, this is perfect. And you know, I run up to like Hobby Lobby or Michael's, I think it was, and grab a bucket and come home and learn about how paint doesn't stick to, I think, galvanized steel very well. And then Spent like half a day reading about etching primers and all this stuff to try to get it to stick and finally got it working and, and, and made this bucket 
painted it all dunkel gelb and tried to hairspray chip it with some red primer underneath so the bucket's all beat up and glued the the Berg Panther on it and set it out there. And ironically, John, it's your favorite. It's probably my least favorite of my three tune oh. tanks for whatever reason. And and I don't know why that is. It's perfectly like I I, I mean it's I think it's decently done and, and the display is cool. But uh yeah of of the three I don't know. I, I, I think the Sherman is, you know, my first one. So that's really cool. The Adam Wilder tribute, I think just because the sheer amount of effort I put into that, the Panther just falls, you know, somewhere, somewhere aside. But yeah, it, it, it got very well received too. So yeah. And you were featured in fine scale modeler. If I remember correctly, you wrote a little editorial on it. Yeah. They, they had me a uh, uh, write uh, something up thousand amps in buffalo too i think they had me write one other things up and photographed it and i didn't again didn't know that was going to be published but then it was there on the on the last page and it's funny because my other sister her ex-husband was kind of a modeler builder and apparently still gets fine scale modeler he called her up said i i just saw aaron's model in fine scale modeler and like she told me i'm like really and uh that's, well that's cool and so i i bought a few i i went to the fine scale modeler website and ordered a few issues to have so it was kind of cool yeah, that's awesome. While we're on the tune tank topic, uh, there's a there's a one circle in Facebook right now that I really like. It's uh, Pete Lowe. He's building a three inch gun carrier for yeah. the Churchill. Have you seen that one? His I enjoy following his work because he does some amazing amazing work. I have not seen that Churchill gun carrier, but I have to check it out. So you're at at your ATAT. Okay, that thing is awesome. Thank you. I think I think I told you when you sent it in the the chat. That's the best. Ad ad I've ever seen. Thank you. I appreciate it. It is. That. It's so good. I just want to tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> Plus one. Thank you. Thank you, guys. We'll have confession time. You're never going to see that ad at from the other side of it. The, the the door, the the like the troop door on the side of it that you glue on the one side. I jacked up totally. Like it, it looks terrible. You're never going to see it from the other angle. Now I'm not really losing any sleep over it because my entire idea with the ad at for display is to put it in kind of a shadow box, walking on, you know, Hoth, you know, with a, a background of a photo, you know, I took from somewhere on the internet of, you know, a snowy background. It's going to hang on the wall because I found no one in my house wants to see my tank models displayed in like the public areas of the house. <laughs> However, <laughs> uh, on the other side of the wall from where I'm sitting in my basement right now is my girls kind of like play area in their TV room. And, you know, it's they're getting old enough that the toys are disappearing and like it's becoming their reading area and their hangout area with their friends and there's some movie posters and they watch, you know, their movies down here. Star Wars models displayed in like frames or in some sort of shadow box or something is stuff that looks cool out there on that wall. And so, and I've seen a lot of people do these with Bandai kits. They framed them and put them like they're on display in, in picture frames. And and I really like that idea. And it's the only models of mine that are, like I said, going to be ever for public viewing. So the idea with the, the ADAT was to put it in this shadow box and hang it out there. So there, I knew there was going to be a side that's never seen. Um, and after I built it and saw how terrible that side was, and I already had primer on, I had the, the base coat on and I look at him like, well, I guess it really doesn't matter because where it's going to go, you know, it's never going to be seen. So I just didn't worry about it and move forward. But now that I've got it done and I really like how it turned out for the rest of it, I'm like, huh, maybe I should have fixed that because I could have like entered this in a show or taken it out and shown it in public. But I mean, it's sitting up here now. It's waiting for, I've kind of lost steam on the shadow box, but it's it's sitting up here and it's, it's waiting to, to, get to get to his final home. And once it's there, it'll look great and, and I'll be really happy with it. Yeah, it's... 
three quarters of it's really nice, but the other side, not one of my prouder moments. I've got a the, my Tie Fighter um, that I built for the, the the Tie Fighter group build. Oh, I love that too. Yeah, I, I put that out. It's hanging out there on the wall with uh, you know the Death Star two behind it. It it looks. Re- I like how it, that turned out. Yeah, I think it looks really good. So you know we're talking about current projects. What's next on your bench? Well, I've got a forty eight scale Tamiya T fifty five sitting here. That I just want to say I started before Martin started his, so I, I think everyone <laughs> in the brothers building a T fifty five right now because Martin started his. It's uh, it's got the gasoline mine sweeper mine roller rather conversion kit that puts the the roller blades. I think it's like KMT four or seven yeah, or something yeah, like yeah. that. MT five, I think. Yeah, maybe. something like that. So it's got that on the, the front or will have. That's here. It's kind of as most of my builds are going slowly. I've added a, a little bit of extra detailing to it. I am going to use the photo etch screens on that. Why I don't know because I was just before I was uh, here with you guys looking at some of Martin's stuff on his and he's just doing the molded plastic ones and they look great again that's one of those things where you know I've gone all in and I really didn't need to I do want to wire up the the fuel tanks on the side you know it'll be uh, I don't know Syrian or some sort of other you know unnamed Middle Eastern generic T55 heavily chipped and weathered camouflage the, the tank in a different color than the, than the mine roller so there's some contrast something like that I'm excited about that I, I'm, I'm excited about getting you know, maybe some hairspray chipping on it and uh, working on that camouflage and I like your gonk droid that you posted on May the 3rd that called yourself a lazy bastard yes yes <laughs> I yes. was just gonna mention that he's sitting up here haunting me too and that's one that I got to get back to him because that's another one of my favorite Star Wars characters. And, you know, he's basically done and all we got to do is paint him. And I just, I don't know what I want to do to paint him. Do I want to make him go completely different than the movies? Do I want to do something in between? Honestly, I think I'll probably end up doing them fairly close to the Kenner Star Wars gonk action Mm -hmm. figure is like a dark blue just because I remember having that, you know, as a kid. If you look at the gonks that are in the movie, and some of those are rough. I mean, some of those they didn't spend much time on. They're they're like one step away from the Tupperware tub, and <laughs> that they are, you know, glued upside down together. What I found with a lot of the Star Wars stuff is that the models we're building are far better than mm-hmm. the actual stuff. As I remember, there was a, a Star Wars model display. I think it was at COSI, which is our local like children's science sort of educational place in town. And I, th- there was a, a show, it's been many, many years ago, that brought in some of the original Star Wars models on like a traveling show. And they had like the Star Destroyer and the Millennium Falcon and a couple others. And they are six foot models at best. I mean, they are not mm-hmm. made for fine observation. And it was fun to pick out all the Tamaya armor kit parts that are there to replicate. I, I Some of those guys who do the, the, the TJ, you might be the one to help me hear what they call them, like the studio scale kits. Yeah, where they are literally trying to find the actual model kits they came from and finding those exact parts and gluing them together to, to make it. That just doesn't do it for me. Give me a Bandai kit all day long. I'm going to build a model of the TIE Fighter, not a model of the TIE Fighter model that was made in like 1977. No, that we've I think we've talked about that maybe in the Star Wars roundtable. Yeah. I mean, what some of these guys do, like John Simmons. Yeah. Um, he's amazing, but it doesn't do it for me either. It, yeah. it looks cool. Yeah. But I'm I'm not interested in a model of the model. Yeah. I want a model of the real thing. Yeah. Yeah, and I want to back up what Aaron said. You know, I saw the original studio model of the Snowspeeder, and it was just when you see those things up close, as a model builder, it's disappointing 
because they're just, like you said, they're just not very good as mm-hmm. models. Yeah, I mean, you just have to put it into context. That, that's all. And just remember that it was 1976 and they had no money and no time. Yeah. Listening to Adam Savage talk about working at ILM and being a professional model maker, that makes me appreciate them a little more because I was like that too. I was really disappointed when I was like researching the first X-Wing that I built. But then going back and like listening to someone that worked in the industry explain they're like, look, you know, it's just, that's the way it is. Yeah. And you seeing him, like he's got videos of him building models like he did. And like, he's an amazing craftsman, but like, he's not, he's not doing what, what we're doing. It's, yeah. it's a separate thing almost altogether. Yeah. I've got the, the Star Wars Chronicles book and Sculpting a Galaxy. And there's another one here from Star Wars to Indiana Jones. And it's, it's like the best of like the, the model making kits of like, it's like the history of the kits that were or not kits, but the, the builds that were made for the movie. And all of them, it's like I, I look through and they're pretty and shiny and I like pretty shiny books. But for reference, they there's nothing in them that helps me build a Bandai kit. Mm-hmm. You know, that at-hat, I, there was in the Damaged magazine. There was an at-hat in Damaged magazine. I think it was just the first few issues. That was my reference guide, was, was another model of a Bandai kit because that's what was my inspiration. I found that a lot. And I think maybe I'm different from a lot of people there. I, I have a lot of books and magazines. I know we, we've talked about that before in some of the chats. And, you know, I, I have maybe mm-hmm. a little bit of a unhealthy obsession with books and magazines, but they're all modeling related books and magazines. I sold all my Panzer Rex. I sold all my allied access photo journals. I, I don't have literally much in the way of reference books of pictures of actual armor from historical perspective. Mm-hmm. All my books and magazines are model related. They're Adam Wilder's books. They're the AFE modelers. There's the, the, the FAQ series. You know, there's the, the, the MIGS, um, Armor Encyclopedia, Abram Scrod magazine. They're all of that stuff because for whatever reason, I find more inspiration in other people's builds than, than the actual, than the real deal. Mm-hmm. And I'm lazy, so I let them do all the research because I know those guys have looked at <laughs> those guys have looked at the reference. You know, it's like Martin's doing the T55, and you know I'd started mine before he had started his. But I'm like, well, thank God, now I can see where I should put all the break out my punch and die set, and you know I'm mm-hmm. looking at it right here, and I've got you know some bolt detail that I added simply because I saw him at it. I'm like, he probably did some research, so I just I can be the lazy modeler and glom off of his work. <laughs> Sorry, Mark. Speaking of inspiration, um, it's in your scale and it's Star Wars. So when are we going to see you do uh, the ATST from The Mandalorian? I don't know. I, I've got I've got quite a few Bandai Star Wars kits now. Um, that's one of them. Like everything else, I have lots of good dreams for these kits. And, and sooner or later, I need to start building them. As I've started the Star Wars stuff, it's kind of like building German armor. Like you, you, you saw this in, all this Imperial stuff. And it's really exciting. Then you realize, wait a minute, it's all gray there's no variety and like i look at all my built german armor and it's all tricolor german camouflage and it's like i I need to i need to find some variety which of course then means painting it a little crazy Um, now the the mandalorian atst is is obviously a little bit different just like the toon tanks when i look at the star wars stuff I, i want it to be somewhat realistic it doesn't need to be perfect but i still can't just bring myself to like paint like a yellow tie fighter just let go I know. I'm trying. I'm really trying. I I have a hard time doing that too, but I'm actively trying yeah. to not be like that. Yeah. 
It's a, it's a struggle. It's ingrained a little bit in the hobby of, you know, trying to make stuff realistic. And, and there's enough, you know, there's enough, you know, Star Wars books and comics and everything out there. There's there's variety. But as much as I am a diehard Star Wars fan of like the original series, I've never really gotten, I've never really dove into the rest. So I don't even know what's out there as options. I mean, I've got the the speeder bike, the Imperial speeder bike from Return of the Jedi. In theory, the Empire runs the entire universe. These things are going to be all over the place, right? They're going to be in every, you know, so there's no reason why you can't paint it in a desert scheme or a winter scheme or something else. But mine will end up looking like it's on indoor. I can almost guarantee you just because that's that's just what I know. Uh, Aaron, are you familiar with Andy Moore's work? Yes, yes. Uh, the truly, you know, talk about inspiration when it comes to, to Star Wars stuff. He's he's probably my complete inspiration on Star Wars. And, and yeah, same, fact, same team. Yeah, it's just, it's incredible work. His gonk droid is actually how I, you know, ended up getting mine. The, the kit, JPEG Productions, I think is the name of the, the company. And, you know, I saw it and here's this Andy Moore, I think he's in the UK, uh, you know, with this kit. You know, I'm trying to track it down, you know, looking all over the place. And of course, like anything else, I'm late to the game and it's out of production. And this, this company and this distributor in the UK may or may not have it. You know, I email them and they're like, well, if you're in the US, why don't you reach out to this guy? He's, he lives in Ohio. I'm like, okay, I've spent the last month trying to find this dude all over the world and he lives like an hour or two hours away from yeah. me. All right. <laughs> Jimmy Glancy, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So, but yeah, and Andy Moore's work is to me into Star Wars what Adam Wilder is into armor as far as inspiration goes. Yeah, he's just, he does that, you know, alternate yep. paint schemes and everything. Yeah, it's yeah. just like, I, like, he did a red X-Wing and like you look at it, I'm like, oh yeah, like why didn't I think of that? Like exactly same thing. But I open an X-wing, I'm like, hmm, should I paint it as a red five or red six or one of the other ones that's been done eight million times? Exactly. And he's exactly. like, no, I'm just gonna paint it yellow and red. Exactly. And he, he and obviously he can he demonstrates you can do it and make it look believable. And you don't look at his and go, oh, that's ridiculous because it's all red or whatever. I mean, you look at it and you go, you know, that's awesome. Uh, and so if he can do it, why can't I do it? Yet my brain still blocks me from doing it. And like you said, that that why didn't I think of that? I can't tell you how many times I've opened up Facebook <laughs> and seen, you know, some <laughs> incredible paint scheme or some incredible idea. I'm like, why why didn't I think of that? Why didn't I think of that? And maybe that, you know, going back to the tune tanks a little bit is the reason why they excited me so much. It's like, damn it, I did think of that. So <laughs> Yeah, it's funny you mentioned JPG, uh, Aaron. You know, Jimmy, I actually knew him growing up. He's He lives in, I'm pretty sure it's like Niles, Ohio. Yeah, so something it's, like that, yeah. Like yeah. you said, it's so crazy. An hour away, the guy makes, yeah, su- you know, super niche Star Wars stuff. I got his, the city from Rogue One. Je- Jetta? Jetta. Yeah, Jetta. Yeah, he, make, he makes a resin Jetta city, and I have the Star Destroyer to go above it. I need to build it, but... His stuff's really good and really some esoteric stuff too. Yeah, yeah. I've got the Gonk, of course, that we spoke about. Then I've got the uh, the Imperial Probe Droid, yeah, which is another one Andy Moore did, and and, and yep. really did a really nice step by step of how to improve it and everything. And that's yeah, going to be what I do to improve mine. So I have to ask, transitioning maybe a little bit of question since we're coming out of the pandemic, shows are starting again. What's the next show we can see you at? Uh, I'm gonna go. I just booked uh, last week, I think, the show in. Uh, uh, I think it's South Bend, Indiana, the AMP show. Yeah. That's going to be there. So uh, I'm excited about that. That'll be the first show since, what, February of 2020 that you and I and Ian met up at. And that was literally yeah. two weeks before lockdown. Yeah. 
I can't believe we didn't walk away with COVID from that based on your usual model show <laughs> attendee cleanliness. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, who knew then? Um, yeah, I'm excited about that show. Hoping to have a, a few builds to take. I, I, I look at this T55 and think, oh, I need to take that. And then I'm like, who, who am I kidding? At my, the, the pace I usually build, like, it'll be like four <laughs> years from now before it's done. But I, I've got a couple kits. I'll take the, the Red Tide Rising tribute kit, the Toon Tank, and then um, I've got Panther and a Hetzer. KV85, I just finished. I really haven't put, I think you guys might have seen it in the, a few shots, but I haven't taken its glamour shots yet. Mm-hmm. So I need to do that. So I'll take I'll take a few kits, but probably, I think they're limiting it to, to five is the most you can take no matter what. So oh. that's like a judging thing or what. So I'll go there and I'll sign up for jump judging because I really, that I found two things, you know, judging those kits is the best way of really looking in depth at kits, you know, you walk past them at the table and you don't Mm -hmm. really look and appreciate. You get to learn so much more about what people do to build a kit and what works and what doesn't work. And and the social aspect again, because you're sitting there Mm -hmm. with three other guys at a table chatting, hit off some new friendships. So I'm, I'm looking forward to do doing the judging. So. And then I'll, you know, I'll, I'll do enough judging to get my free amps T-shirt, so I can wear that only around the house. Because God forbid I advertise and build models outside the house. <laughs> well, if that show wasn't the weekend before the IPMS Nationals, and I wasn't moving across the country, I'd probably <laughs> go to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because it's only a five and a half hour drive from here, and I'm sure it's going to be packed. Yeah, uh, yeah. with a lot of good stuff, and you know, all the familiar names from the East Coast will be there. But you'll you'll be at I'm sure Cleveland in the in the fall. Yeah, I'm, I'm. Yeah, definitely try to. And we need you to come come out to a Nats one of these days. Once uh, once you become an empty nester. Yeah, I've been a. It's been a long time since I've been to a Nats. It's probably that 2005 show. I mean, I used to always go as a kid. I mean, and you know, going back to like my parents. I mean, they took we planned family vacations around. Like we went to there's a Nats in Washington D.C. Yeah, just like, talking like mid 80s, and they planned a family vacation around making sure I was able to go to that. They planned one to Miami, Florida. That was kind of combined. It was it was in Florida. It was a family vacation. That's where my brother-in-law, Mike, that I spoke about, he lived. So it was kind of fit all that. But I really think back to that stuff and appreciate how much for non-model builders that they supported me. I know, John, you and your dad, he was a model mm-hmm. builder and, and you guys went to a lot of Nats, but it was kind of mm-hmm. a father-son thing. And, you know, you yeah. both went and I appreciate that my parents tried to provide me some of that same sort of stuff, even though it was nothing they had any interest in. Yeah. But it's been a while since I've been to a Nats. So I, we, I was part of running a Nats once when we did it in Dayton. I mean, I was like, I was, a, I mean, I was probably like 12 and I had like the 3 a.m. to 5 a.m. shift at the security desk. Guardian. It's like a 12 year old guardian. Like, what? I don't know if this was like the, the, the best choice of whatever, but you know. I went to a Dayton. I think it was the Dayton Nats or it might've been Columbus, but they had an open cockpit tour. I want to say it was early nineties. And I went to that. My dad took me and I sat in the F-117 and I told my friends at school and they were like, you're a liar. My dad said no one can sit in that airplane. So I remember taking in the little three by five picture to like these these little kids and be like, no, I did sit in. But anyway, you know, like you said, it, the, the Nats are special. They're cool. Um, yeah. And man, I'm sure we I'm sure we crossed paths way back. I'm sure then we too. did. Yeah, I'm sure we did. You know, it's funny you mentioned the open cockpit because I don't know how. I became an armor modeler. No one in my family, like like most of my family, was in the in the Air Force. Uh, mm-hmm. No one in my family built tanks or, or was in tanks in in the military or anything. The closest is my dad was in the Marine Corps. I have a picture of him on a bulldozer in the fifties. Mm-hmm. But you know, there's no tankers. There's no influence. I mean, I lived in Dayton, Ohio. 
I had the Air Force Museum right down the street. I worked there for seven years, flipping burgers and like doing other stuff all the way through high school and part of college. You know, our IPMS meetings were there. You know, there'd be IPMS meetings where people would get in an argument about, you know, if there's a detail right in the cockpit of like a P-51. And, you know, the guys who were like administration of the museum or builders, they would be there like, well, let's go down and look. And like everyone would do like drop down (laughs) in the museum. Because it's after hours, they would open up the cockpit, everyone would climb in. And like the access I had to airplanes was phenomenal. And then, you know, even my brother-in-law was a, you know, photographer in the Air Force. And to this day at my sister's house are slide, slides and slides and thousands of slides of all the Air Force hardware in the, the late 70s and all through the 80s and early 90s. And nope. Nope, let's build tanks instead where I don't have any of that access. So, But I've sat in many, many a cockpit at the Air Force Museum. That, that was another job I had at some of those shows, whether it be a nationals or one of the regionals, is when they had like the, the Air Force Museum tours. They wanted somebody to sit and make sure parts didn't leave the planes. And I was mm-hmm. a kid and small. So, you know, I'm up there in the, the, the nose of a B-24 crammed in the side. So everyone would have enough room <laughs> to come in and look. But, you know, I'd be up there to make sure no one like took off with like the Norden bomb site or something like that. Man, crazy. We've been talking a long time. It's a fantastic conversation. Maybe we can wrap up with, you know, what what's on the horizon for you uh, on your bench? Let's see. I look up at my my shelf of kits that are, you know, half built, half painted. And, and you know, I, I have these big plans for all of them. And, you know, I'd like to wrap up this T-55 and dig into something else. But it, it really depends, you know, whatever strikes me fancy that day to sit down and start working on a little bit. And then I might just put it back up on the shelf for a few weeks or months or even years and, and move on to something else. I don't, I don't have a plan of what I want to do next. And but I don't like that either. I want to I want to knock some of this stuff out and I want to start and finish something all in one, you know, not necessarily day or session. You know, I'm not JB where I, you know, just slam together a whole 148 scale kit and 48 hours paint it and weather it. I <laughs> that's TJ now. He's yeah, that's true. TJ's trying to, to take that away from you. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I want to get to that point though, the kind of the, the two of you are doing and just get to build more and not think about it so much. And so that's, if there's, if there's a goal, that's the goal more so than one particular kid. But I will say something, TJ, I don't know if you said this in a chat or I saw this in a, a Facebook post, but somebody the other day said something to the effect of, I need to wait to build this till I'm better. And, and that phrase really hit me close that I feel like I have a lot of kits like that, even the do back uh, to bring it full circle. Like, like I need to wait till I'm better to build this. And, and that really is, is paralyzing in a way that I, I need to stop thinking that way and just build stuff because a few things can happen. I might never get better. I might be good enough now, or I might die. And then I never get to build it, you know, not to close on like a somber note, but, you know, I, you know, after my brother-in-law was killed many years later and my sister was ready, I helped her liquidate his model collection. And these were, you know, hundreds and hundreds, if not more kits. And, you know, I, I'm sure he had a plan for each and every one of them. And I'm sure he's like, oh, someday I'm going to do this. Someday I'm going to do that. And, you know, all of us do that to some degree. And I look at, you know, I've got, I think I counted them earlier today. I've got like 118 148 scale armor kits sitting here. And I've got, you know, another like 20, 30, 135 scale kits. I probably got another 30, 40, you know, Bandai Star Wars kits. And I've got a plan for each and every one of them. And some of them are more special than others. And and, like, and those more special ones, I keep putting back off. You know, I keep saying, no, I need to wait, need to wait. And no, I, those are the ones I need to do first. I need to get them maybe if I get them off my plate, then it might even be more freeing to get to the other ones and, and, and work on those. Again, I, I think way too much about this stuff instead of just doing. So the the overarching plan going forward is, you know, just the, the, the Nike, just do it sort of feel. Yeah, that was, I, I want to say 
Maybe Ian said something about wanting to wait to do something until they got yeah. better. Yeah. And I told him, yeah, don't do that. I mean, I used to think like that too. And that's one of the things that I've stopped doing recently. And I think that's why I've been able to do what I've done so far this year. Because, it, yeah, <laughs> I'm thinking the same thing. You know, I've got a ton of kits and I'd like to think that I'm going to be around to, to build all of them. But you just, you just never know. You never know. And yeah. it's, you know, I, and I have kits that I have bought and I'm, wanted to start like the millennium falcon it was like no i need to be better and uh, i i regret not doing that because now i'm like there's a million other things that i want to do and yeah. i bought the the like the 70 second scale falcon when i only had 10 kits and you know i'm like oh i'll do this now and then i was like no i'm not good enough to do this yeah. i should have just done it yeah it, it who cares of how it would have looked yeah it doesn't matter yeah no i i and and you know you guys have been really helpful and, and your podcast here has been kind of really helpful to you know because I hear other people struggle with the same stuff and I I was never a podcast person I mean you guys launched yeah, this me either and, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I, I I was never a podcast person I just never listened to them and, and I think Scott asked me early on uh, if I wanted to to, to talk I was like I, I don't know I don't know anything about podcasts never really listened to them and I'm like sure someday and and you know and then I think later on you're on like episode two or three and somebody asked me if I'd listened. Yeah. I'm like, no, I'm going to sort of thing. And because it just never did. And and what I realized was I was trying to just listen to him, like put on a headset and, and listen to him. And, and that wasn't really working for me. And at the same time, though, when I come down here and sit at the bench, I put on like YouTube videos of like, mm -hmm. you know, some of Will's videos or Martin's videos or, you know, you know, even the old Adam Wilder YouTube stuff. But I'm not looking at them because I'm looking at the model I'm building and I'm not really... Mm -hmm listening to them because they're talking about a technique you need to visually see. And then I sat down and like, let me put on this podcast and listen to it while I'm building. And it was like, you know, the, the, the heavens opened up in this aha moment. And like, this is like the model club I always wanted. You know, these are dudes sitting around having a beer that I can sit around and just relax with and, and feel like even though it's a podcast and all I'm doing is listening, it feels like I'm part of the conversation. It just clicked and it's been, I got to tell you guys, I love it. You know, I'm, I'm because I'm not at the bench all the time. I think I'm two episodes behind still, but that's good because that means I've got more to listen to and I'm not just, you know, waiting, you know, for the next episode anxiously. I, I've still got more content to listen to and, and it's just been great for me. You know, I think my favorite episode was the one where you guys just sit around, you sat around and talked about your inspirations when you guys got into like books and movies and everything mm -hmm. else and got to know you guys. And it just, it really hit home with me. Uh, that, you know, this is this is a, a valuable way of communicating with, you know, the, the modeling world. And, you know, I want to thank you guys, you know, not just for the opportunity here to talk to you guys today. I think that's really cool. It makes me feel really good. But, you know, just in general for offering this, I know it's a lot of work to interview people and put together, but it, it does make a difference. And it, it's really been beneficial. I know to me, myself, that I can sit down here on the bench. I can feel like I'm at a model. It feels like when I was 12 and sitting at an IPMS show or an IPMS club meet and hear people talk about what interests me back at that point there was no one else no other way of getting that channel and here it is again for me like it just that that feel so thank you well we appreciate talking to you aaron and those are kind words and um i just encourage you to uh just 
just do it in your own words, you know, and, and the Nike thing, just do it. I, I lost a, a really close friend of mine who passed away unexpectedly at age 52. And recently I went over with his kids and he had boxes and boxes and boxes of model kits. And like you said, he had plans for every single one of them. And yeah. I remember for years, you know, he'd say, yeah, when I retire, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and, you know, just do it. You know, I mean, what's the worst that can happen? You know, pull out a 48 scale armor kit, put it together. If you mess it up and you don't like it, I mean, let's face it, we're all at a point where we can hop on Amazon and have another one at our doorstep five days later. Exactly. It's 30 bucks or whatever. You know, it's not the end of the world. No one's no one's going to get hurt. So yep. just do it, man. Put that Nike logo on and <laughs> get, it, get her done. Thanks. Thanks for talking to us today, man. It was a blast. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Aaron. Really appreciated catching up. Yep. Thank you. All right, that was a really fun interview, guys. And uh, Aaron, if you're listening, we need another tune tank from you, please. So real quick, you know, I, I want to connect some dots here. Brian, Aaron hooked you up with some ice cleats for your Lee, if I'm not mistaken. So that is correct. Yeah, I built that uh, Mini Art M3 Lee late as a lend lease uh, with Soviet markings. And a number of photos that I saw of those M3 Lees had those uh, browsers. You can't find T41, 135th scale T41 browsers anywhere. And so I had recreated one in 35th scale, and I just put a call out uh, on Facebook and say, hey, anybody interested in 3D printing me some parts? And uh, he volunteered sent me, I don't know, about two dozen of those beautiful little uh, 3D printed pieces. The detail on those was amazing. So yeah, he's a great guy and a big help. Yeah, he's a, he's a great th- 3D uh, designer and printer. I'm just amazing stuff. As good as his modeling. Well, that'll do it for this Triple P episode. Again, thank you, Brian, for joining us. And we love chatting with you and getting to know your work. Thanks, everybody else, for joining in. Uh, We love hearing from you, and we look forward to talking to you again in two weeks. So until then, live well, be safe, and most of all, build models. Yeehaw! (laughs) (laughs) Right on. Nice. That was from the loins there. That was... (laughs) I was going for the record, guys. (laughs) I was trying to wake my wife up. So <laughs> you woke I up. I think that started in Doug's toes, man. Yeah. Ooh, he's been waiting for that. He's he's had a little withdrawal. You know what? I haven't done it for a little while and I've heard what everybody else has done. I'm just trying to outdo everyone else. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs>